Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 71 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Superman Lover, and I'm joined here by my buoyant co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, the heartthrob of Eastern Europe and a man who sold more paper than Xerox. I am talking about VWAP Trader 1, JJ. How's it going, man? <laughs> Good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. And I'm excited for our guest today, who is a former SMB capital trader turned digital horse trainer and breeder, head of Zed content and strategy at Lucky Trader HQ and co-founder of KnowYourHorses.com, the best analytic Zed run site in the metaverse, South Carolina Gamecock alum. I'm talking about Ryan Tross. Ryan, how's it going, man? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Really pumped to be here. Awesome, man. So, so excited to have you, man. And it's it's funny how kind of like our paths crossed and, you know, you have a connection, I guess, with two podcast guests. We've had on uh, Ryan uh, Hassan. Shout out to him. It was a pleasure talking with him. And uh, another guest, a guy who supported us in our early days of the podcast, which, you know, means a lot to JJ and I, our favorite hockey mm-hmm. coach, Tom Canfield. <laughs> how did you two become acquainted with each other? Yeah, so uh, tales all this time. Yeah, um, his daughter and I have been dating for five years. We uh, we met at the University of South Carolina. We started dating there. Um, she's a year younger than me, so I graduated in 2017, and then uh, we met in 2017, and I graduated. Um, and then I did a year of my master's program, and while I was in that master's program, she was in her senior year, and then um, I, I ended up meeting Tom for the first time while we were dating. Um, and then that obviously led to a pretty wild change of events in my uh, professional career, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, was was trading anything that was really on your radar before uh, this was was Tom kind of a catalyst? Yeah, well, Tom was definitely the catalyst. Tom's yeah. kind of um, kind of my origin story when it comes to thinking about trading less as um, something that people do with like Robin Hood or gambling and thinking about it more as, you know, a professional career. Um, I had probably explored markets very marginally when I was in high school um, in business classes and like AP business and stuff like that. Um, But when I went to University of South Carolina, I had originally planned on being a business administration major. And then I went and checked out the engineering school. I'd done well in school, like really like had a proclivity towards the sciences and and analytics and stuff like that. Um, Really good at math, but didn't really think about how I wanted to kind of use that in, you know, my future. Um, but then basically ended up picking one of the engineering disciplines that sounded most exciting to me, um, almost like flipping a coin. Uh, and I settled on biomedical engineering. So I did in four years of biomedical engineering, um, and then a semester of my master's program. And while I was in my master's program, I, that's when I had originally, you know, the story as I walked into, um, the Canfield home and, you know, he had this office with six monitors and obviously I'm, captivated by, you know, information flowing in. Um, I, I love like, you know, I, I like to process data like at high levels. I like to see kind of what's going on in front of me. And I saw the flashing and everything that you see um, when you got a bunch of uh, trading view charts up Yeah, and, you know, went over and said, Hey, listen, you know, you got to tell me what you're doing here. You know, <laughs> I, I obviously, you know, I, I know that you've been doing this for a full time. I know you've been able to support her. Like, you know, I know that this is, that this has kind of been a lucrative endeavor. Um, and I'm obviously interested in that. You know, I didn't love what I was doing at the time. 
So the biomedical engineering program was like touted as this, you know, new cutting edge thing, you know, we're going to be, you know, you could be a doctor, you can get your PhD. There's so many different disciplines kind of encompassed by biomedical engineering that it seemed um, like I, I really couldn't find my path and like kind of where I wanted to direct a lot of my academic energy um, and was kind of looking for something to latch onto that would maybe captivate me a little bit more. Um, it was kind of like in my graduate program, not struggling to really care about what I was doing, thought I was going to go out get a PhD and do some type of like clinical work and, and didn't really know specifically the direction of that. Um, and then latched on to the idea that, you know, trading isn't really what it comes down to on the surface, like clicking buttons and making money. It's much more of a, a psychological endeavor. You know, you find, I learned more about myself in two and a half years of professional trading than I've learned in however many years of life I've had so far, you know, um, yeah. I didn't really. And, and I was originally trying to get a PhD in cognitive psychology. I was taking neuroscience classes. Like I was super interested in like the concept of human consciousness and like kind of what was directing people to make decisions that they were making on all different spectrums of life. Um, and seeing that trading really was a culmination between you and the market and whether or not you could take control of your own emotions and psychology. Um, I really latched onto that at the time. And then obviously began the work of actually learning how to trade in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's amazing, man. Great. Like uh, just incredible story listening to it, like how it all comes full circle meeting Tom and then like just the combination of your skill sets. Uh, that's awesome, man. And just reminded to the listeners, if you guys would like to join JJ myself and a supportive community traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. Um, we're going to start off talking, you know, we, we already jumped into trading talk a little bit. Um, this is for the listeners. We're going to first half, we're going to talk about, um, you know, Ryan's time at S&B Capital trading conversation. So if you're here for that, stay for, you know, first half, second half of the conversation. We're going to talk about Zed Run. Uh, very exciting. So if you guys are tuning in from over the Zed Run community, um, second half of the conversation, that's what we'll be talking about. Or if you just like money and you want to be here for the whole time, <laughs> the whole thing, if you like money, we're going to teach you how to make money in the markets. Let's go, Ryan. Um, so uh, SMB Capital, where, you know, how, how did you get involved with them? Was, uh, you know, did Tom kind of, you know, talk, I don't know if Tom knows anyone from SMB. Like, how did how did that all come about? Yeah, so I had um, I had been trading on my own. A couple of buddies of mine kind of. Oh, hey, Ryan, your mic, your mic, bud. We good now? Yep, good. Yep. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, some couple of buddies of mine had scrounged together a little bit of money. I'd been bartending, you know, they they had been working some jobs. And I think we started like an e-mini account with like two grand in it. And this was right, bef- right before the um, the VIX blow up. So I was, or XIV blow up. So I was learning how to trade market profile. Um, I follow the e-mini player approach, Weiss Beccari and, and Ziad Misery. I was actually an open trader student. Um, so if you're looking to learn futures, uh, that's kind of exactly what I did to get my, my basis, you know, everything kind of in volume profile, market profile, um, that's kind of the structure that I developed. So I had a bunch of prior knowledge of reading market internals and kind of using that as the framework for the way that I was trading um, and everything top down analysis, um, multiple timeframes, you know, read Brian Shannon's book. I was really kind of, I kind of just did as much absorption as I could and then realized that, you know. I was trading one of the most leveraged products in the world. If you really break it down, you know, I was trading a $2,000 account, 50 bucks a point and watched the market completely collapse and a situation that I didn't really understand um, in February and basically said out loud to myself, I was like, okay, I just left school, you know, to do this, try and do this with my own money full time. 
in my head, I had kind of figured it was a break. You know, I was so burnt out after four and a half years of like an extremely strenuous degree. I really was like looking for something to do with my time. I was making enough money bartending to kind of support, you know, paying rent and doing stuff like that. Um, but obviously my parents were like, you know, where, where is this going to lead to, you know, you have an engineering degree, you know, what's the situation here. Um, but was trading and, and then realized, you know, as a culmination of those events that one, I needed to learn more from people who were better than maybe I could ever be. And two, I needed capital. You know, I couldn't be trading money that had scrounged together, you know, blew up one account, blew up another account. Like, you know, the same story that you hear from a lot of people who led, you know, go on to become professionals is the fact of the matter, you lose money, right? Like a lot of people have this warped conception of trading that you can come in and be excellent right away. Even some of the best traders I've ever seen consistently lost money in like their first year. Um, that's just kind of, you know, where things go. And I had figured that I needed to get some type of professional education. And Tom had obviously read Mike Belfiore's book. Um, we're familiar with the firm. He felt like it was really an education first enterprise as opposed to a lot of these prop shops that kind of, you know, you buy in with five grand and they say, you know, you survive or die and, and, and we'll decide whether or not we're ever going to bump you up and, and the profit splits are all over the place. And so there was a lot of things in the space that we were a little uncertain of and how it could, t- could take that step. And, and SMB at the time was doing like a stipend program. So I was super excited for the opportunity to one, move to New York. I'm from New Jersey originally, um, born and raised right outside of Princeton, East Windsor, New Jersey. Uh, my family was all still here. She was my girlfriend, Annie. She was moving to New York. She got a job at a staffing firm, which she still works at. And it, the move made sense, both in terms of, you know, the opportunity to become a better trader and learn from professionals to get paid for it, have the access to capital. And per- personally, it all kind of made sense as well. Um, so I got the interview. I came to New York. I met Mike. I met uh, Steve Spencer. And um, I talked to Dr. Steenbarger as well. For those who don't know Dr. Steenbarger, he's like, world-renowned trading psychologist, um, works with some of the biggest hedge funds in the world. He was part of the interview process too. And, and their risk manager, Carlton Bryan, who's a close friend of mine now, you know, we, you know, I kind of got a good vibe from them in terms of, you know, what type of support I felt like I was going to need and kind of who I could learn from. Um, they have a trader named Kenny Sharkness, who's possibly the best trader I've, I've ever seen in my life. Um, I watched him grow to making, you know, seven figures a year, even eight figures in a year. Um, definitely was a huge role model. And while I was trying to learn um, while I was there, uh, but yeah, I just got a really good, really good vibe from them when I was meeting them. And I, I guess did well in the interview and, and showed them that I had a really solid uh, foundation in markets and, and an understanding of the way that, you know, market psychology was working on higher time frames and the fractalness of everything. And, you know, my advice for anyone who would ever look to be joining a proprietary day trading firm is, you know, they want to see that you've traded on your own before, you know, that you have, you know, I don't like to use this phrase too much, but that you have the balls to kind of go out and put your own, your own money on the line. Um, Cause everything changes when you, when you go from a simulated environment to a live environment. Oh yeah. And, I, and that's what I picked up from them. And what I really like um, from SMB capital is um, I, I feel like a lot of traders don't emphasize um, aggressiveness And that like, you know, you know, once you get to a point of like, let's say you're profitable, it's like, you know, what separates people from there, right? It's like knowing when to be aggressive, maybe right to and and I've always that's something I've always enjoyed. And that's like something I've really picked up from playing poker previously to trading is that like winning poker is aggressive poker. And I think just winning gambling is aggressive or knowing when to 
Um, and I've always picked that up. Now, I imagine like even, even with Tom, like, you know, uh, getting you an interview or so, like, I, I can't see those guys just giving you a job because, you know, Tom Canfield. Um, what, you have any tips? I know you kind of gave some tips for people, um, but I know SMB gets probably thousands of applicants yeah. a year. Like what was tell us just a little bit about the interview process uh, and how that went down. Yeah. So the, the way it kind of works is, you know, they ask you to basically tell them what you know about markets. Right. So when it came down for me was I had to try and think about ways to show them that one, I had like the professional demeanor necessary to show that I could handle a decent amount of money and like get access to capital without being like some kid who's just going to sling and, and kind of see where it goes. Um, I have a, I guess one thing I really think highly about myself is like my professional demeanor, my ability to kind of, you know, answer questions quickly, um, just kind of basic interview tactics that don't really necessarily translate to the job, but translate more so to getting the job. Sure, um, sure. I think in the interview process for a professional trading firm, like there is an important dis- differentiation you need to make between like what's necessary for me to connect with this person to get them to know that I'm an intelligent individual and what's necessary for them to realize, oh, I, I think you have the foundation that is necessary for us to build on top of, um, show that you don't have any bad habits, you know, show that you have um, a solid academic pedigree that, you know, I didn't, it's not like I'm, you know, a graduate from a top university or anything like that. Like I had a three, one, right. Like, it's not like I had a crazy GPA, but I backed up that GPA by, I was able to talk about things at an extremely high level, right? Like I understood the fundamentals of the market. I could tell you, you know, how market internals and created supports and resistances based off of volume profiles. Like I was able to rattle this stuff off really quickly. Even then um, the things I didn't know were, you know, position sizing, risk management, the stuff that is easily layered on top of a pretty solid market foundation. Um, I knew a lot of technical analysis. I did a lot of the groundwork necessary that I've seen people, you know, when I was at SMB, we would have new people come in and I'd be involved in a lot of the new class training. And when they came in, you know, you really want to see right away, like, okay, what gaps do I need to fill in in order to get this person to understand that, okay, I can teach you to read charts like a monkey in, you know, two months, right? I can teach you how to position size and the risk management rules in another week and a half, but it's going to take you years to figure out how to get your brain to stop doing things that are against what I'm telling you to do. Right. Um, So that's the biggest challenge. So kind of what I, what Mike ended up telling to me, um, actually maybe a couple of weeks after I'd been struggling a little bit when I was in trainee and, and he, he kind of pulled me inside and he said, he said, you, we see a lot of the traits in you that we scan for, right? We see that you're tenacious, you know, you have the passion. If you really are latched onto an idea, that's like, that's what you're thinking about. That's you're looking to build everything off of that little light bulb that you just had. Um, and that's something I'm really good at, right? Like if I get on a lead, I stay on that lead until it shows me that it doesn't deserve my attention anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that ability and that passion into one direction is something that professional training forms look for. They look for you to be all in on something that you're, you're involved in. Because at the end of the day, if you're not passionate about trading, if you're not passionate about like the fact that you're going to get kicked in the nuts like 150 <laughs> times in your first two days. Yeah it's very easy to quit. Like no one's going to stop you. Right. If you want to quit hand in your key card, have a great time. We got thousands of applicants. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's really end around way of saying like, do what you can to show them that you give a shit, right? Like make sure that they know that 
you don't have a history of giving up on things. Um, perseverance. I talked about, I played lacrosse um, all through high school and I played a year of club at South Carolina. I talked about the adversities I had in that. I broke my jaw my sophomore year, had college recruiting stuff break down, had to fight my way back, ended up getting some D3 offers, you know, tossed that away because I didn't think that I was going to be able to focus on my education. And you know, I basically just summed up my life and, and why I felt like I deserved the attention that they would give me. Um, and that takes a certain degree of confidence, right? Sure. And that's another really important as- attribute for a trader. Like if you second guess yourself a lot, it's going to be really hard for someone to put a lot of money invested into you. Um, yeah. And making sure you don't blur that line with arrogance um, is tough for a lot of young kids. I, I could say that it is. It is. I mean, especially in a, in a game that can humble you so quick, right? To- towing that line of confidence and, and arrogance. But yeah, man, uh, that it rings so true. Like what you say, like you have to have a passion for this or like, cause you're going to take your lumps. I mean, e- even when you get proficient, you're still going to take losses, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, JJ, our guy. And, and, and I didn't know this. I didn't know it's coming in. I didn't know you learned like with market profile and stuff like that. That's what JJ is uh, all about. JJ, I know that was probably sounding good in your ears, huh? Yeah, definitely. It's nice. Nice to see some uh, nice to meet another structured trader. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause the, you know, everything lies, but the tape doesn't lie and all structure is, is 2d tape. Right. That's right. So, you know, um, th- that's why you know, I, I spent an entire career um, fleecing people by moving market makers around a level two screen like pawns. Yeah. So, uh, you know, because I would control the order flow. So people are talking about order books and doms and things like that, but they focus on, you know, the, it's a market. So you buy something to take it up and you buy something in bulk under VWAP, you sell it over VWAP. That's right. That's what size traders do. And, and, I think the thing is the nice thing about structure, it kind of brings things back to the basics because long before all these, you know, indicators and everything were around, people would have to trade just on price action and how price would react at a reference. Right. And um, that's what I like about it. It's pure and uh, it's good. It's good to see, um, you know, I know a lot of guys who work at prop firms do use structure. So that's pretty cool. I was just curious, you know, I was asked, what, what's it like? What was the process? Um, like, I've, I've heard of the team concept at SMB, uh, and it's part of their trading model. Can you kind of maybe talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so the team model is essentially like, they you're in training for a certain amount of time, right? Like my class was a certain amount of time um, on the demo, and then there was another class that had a different period of time. So the structure there is more so like Carlton does an excellent job of kind of gauging how the class is developing, right? If he doesn't feel like the class is, is ready to trade live, then you're not going to trade live. Okay. Then you trade live um, and you get, I think for me, it was maybe, I think I actually joined Team Shark immediately where some other members of my class took maybe a month or two of live trading before they kind of found their niche. Um, I had done exceptionally well in the demo. And I think that that was a consequence. Like, you know, and we'll talk about kind of where my career went in terms of the struggles I dealt with. But like on the demo, it was almost automatic, right? I, I traded um, Oasis methodology. You know, I had my supports and resistances. I knew how to read tick and AD line really well. I could build out these volume profile structures. You know, everything was so kind of regimented and there was no risk, right? Like I, I, I would sit in positions and kind of just let the support work itself out. Um, I wasn't really fighting for price very often. Um, 
I had a, at the time, a pretty rudimentary idea of divergences and how to create my own individual setups, tick exhaustions, thousand ticks. You know, I had, I had a playbook that I developed, right? And that's like the SMB idea. Um, the SMB okay. idea is that you kind of create your playbook. And once your playbook kind of meets your personality, they kind of take that and say, okay, of our professional, you know, our teams are seven figure traders. Who do we think you resemble the most or who do we think you can kind of vibe with well enough to help direct you along this path? Um, and for me at that time, they, they picked Team Shark and, and that's run by Kenny Sharkness. And um, at the time, Ryan Hassan is actually on okay. the last, obviously I, I'm no longer part of the firm. So I'm assuming he's still a member of Team Shark. Um, but yeah, he, I worked closely with him and he trades mostly small caps. He, he does a lot of like shorting small caps. Okay. At the time, I, I was kind of drifting back and forth from doing SPY and then SMB really didn't have any like futures um, support really. Like I was trading just the S&P 500, like just SPY um, with tick and was getting destroyed by fees and stuff like that. Like, you know, looking back, it's much easier for me to look back on this now as no longer a professional trader and be like, oh my God, like what? You know, I, I, I traded SPY for six months. Like I should have just asked for a futures contract. Like, what was I doing? I, you know, I, I, I it's easy for me to go back and, and hindsight's always going to be 2020. But at the time, you know, I truly did think that I could be the best SPY trader the firm had ever seen. Mm -hmm. SPY was one of the worst symbols for S&P Capital over the period of like three years prior to me joining. Um, Shark consistently lost money trade. Oh. Oh, hey, hey you're, uh, your mic again, Ryan. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's got a new new mic for his streams. On the yeah, how are we looking oh, now? Oh, good. there good. we go. Sorry about that, guys. Um, yeah, so he was, he wasn't trading SPY very well either, you know, wasn't doing any type of market, market structure, like wasn't, was kind of just trading it like off of momentum and, and trying to fade these like huge extremes um, and not even and then looking for like higher lows and, and lower highs and spy, which like you guys know is just a death sentence. Mm -hmm. It's the market for making you think you're wrong, right? Like there's no yeah. other symbol that will ever be like it. <laughs> Nothing's manipulated more than that. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember like really battling it for months, trying to figure out possibly because of my ego at the time, like I was excellent lacrosse player, like academically gifted, like probably had to try and come to terms with the fact that, oh, I might suck at this, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a decent chance I'm going to fail. Yeah. Um, and I had never felt that in my life before. And, and trading was the first thing to really, like you had mentioned, uh, right? Like the humbling aspect of it mm -hmm. is getting told like everything could be perfect. You could have the greatest exhausted, exhausted tick into the most clear support you've ever seen in your life. And they might just run it, right? <laughs> they don't have, there's no, these are just numbers, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, if they want to keep selling, you might see a 1400 tick and you just mm -hmm. bought an 1100 tick. Bye. Yeah. Like have, have fun hitting your stop loss, right? Yeah. Like, so there were a lot of things that would frustrate me because I didn't understand why the pieces that I was putting together didn't resolve the puzzle. Um, and I'm a, that's my, my mind, right? Like my mind wants to find the solution to the analytical problem in front of me. And if it's not there, I have to deal with my emotions and my frustrations and kind of balance those two worlds. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that Shark did really well and what the team-based trading did was you get access to somebody who has conquered those feelings already, right? Oh, it, or at least harness them in a way, uh, harness them in a way where 
he can make, help you make sense of them. And Shark's MO is that he is, and this alludes to what you guys are speaking about earlier about like when to get aggressive. He's one of the best I've ever seen it. Like when he knows, he knows, right? He could draw yeah. down however much money on the short side. I'm like GameStop, Tilray. Like we were there for all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like watching him draw down, you're like, we're all sitting around kind of like this at one point. Just like, <laughs> we got to be getting close, right? If the risk manager comes and taps him on the shoulder, maybe we get in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's funny. You know, we used to call things like that. Like yeah, you know, yeah. the more experienced guys would be like, you know, if the risk manager is coming around, like we got to be close. Like, how much further <laughs> are they going to squeeze us here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so though you get that camaraderie from the team cool. um, that you wouldn't get in mm-hmm. a lot of prop shops. I think you kind of would just like sit there and there's a competitive aspect to some places too, where like one oh, guy makes much. money. Oh, I am not going to share my edge with you. Like, SMB was like the most collaborative place ever um, for cool. me, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other, morning meetings, you know, typing in G chat. Um, I think where I look back is like, I probably didn't use that support system as much as I should have, maybe as a product of my own ego, maybe as, a need to want to do it for myself. And maybe I misconceptualized what it really means to kind of conquer your own demons that lead you to becoming a profitable trader, right? Like you really have to find your own way of dealing with the things like, why am I full size in this short right now? Or why am I buying every single fade tick? Why am I trying to break something out with no news, right? Like there's a bunch of different things that happen there where you look back and you're like, you know, a child could look back at what I was doing and be like, well, why did you do that? Right. And you ask yourself, like, I have no idea. Maybe I'm just lost. Right. I'm on tilt. Um, so the team is really a way to kind of recenter yourself when you need it and to have someone to be like, Hey man, you, you know, you might have to, you might have to stop out for the day. You're, you might be losing track of the market. Um, and oftentimes hearing that from somebody you respect is a lot easier than hearing it from some random person trading next to you who's making money. Right. You know, someone on Twitter is making money like, well, why the hell would you fade GameStop? You know, it's obviously going up, right? Like it's a short squeeze. It's still going all aboard. Like, like it's easy for someone to say that to you. But if oh, someone's yeah. sitting next to you trading all day next to you and knows right. like, I know exactly. I could tell from kids I was mentoring, like I would watch their position. I'd be like, I, there's nothing I could do to stop this. I'm going to watch. This kid's going to stop out and we're going to have yeah. a discussion afterwards because I, I just G-chatted him six times. Like, watch your size here watch your size here they might run that they might run that and then i get a text from him like oh man i don't know what i was thinking like ah you know and you have to go through those mental processes there's no other way yeah yeah you gotta go through it man um i would man yeah i uh, ryan great great answers though man i swear like like you've answered like five different questions i had like (laughs) sorry yeah no no no, you're no 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 not you jj i was saying ryan no no he's been out just great great stuff man um I, I know you kind of talked a little bit about the, um, you know, when everyone was watching uh, Shark Short and stuff. I um, I wanted to ask you about the environment, like, because um, I have this idea in my head. I don't know if it's true or not. Like, I think of like the movies, right? Like, people are like making prop debts uh, on the desk. People are, you know, busting oh. each other's ball. Oh no! Uh, was... You know, just having fun, or is it more professional? Oh, it was professional like... to a yeah. T, right? Serious. Yeah. Like, we would be chatting with each other on the side if we saw something big happening, right? Sure. But like. I would never say out loud, like, yo, Shark, are you good, man? Like, what are you doing? Like, the, where, you know, you're talking to someone who makes millions of dollars a year. Like, <laughs> yeah. I I think one thing I did really well at was knowing my place, right? And yeah. I think everyone at SMB does a really good job of knowing their place in the hierarchy. Yeah. No matter, it, like, we'll still grab beers after work with each other. Obviously, pre-COVID, like, things are different yeah. now. But, sure. um, 
you know, we would grab beers that like he would pick up the tab, like company car, like it was a fun environment to be a part of. But when business was business, that's when the flip gets switched. Yeah. Right. And um, there's only certain types of environments that foster that level of how does everybody know when to turn it on? Like there's be some days the market's slow, throw CNBC on, let's screw around, people watching YouTube, doing whatever, you know, working on other things, scripts, automated programs, whatever. But if the market was hot and there were symbols in play, you know, we were lasered in. I would all of a sudden look at the clock and be like, like it's yeah. three. Oh my God, this is a final hour. Like, what are we doing here? Where am I at on the day? I haven't even checked my PL, just been trading like a lunatic, right? Like those environments existed too, especially during a lot of the periods that I learned how to trade. You know, you ask somebody, I, 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 you know, not to toot my own horn, but if you think about it, the year I started trading was like the beginning of an unprecedented two to three year period of markets, right? The XIV blew up. Um, then we have the China trade wars, mm-hmm. meme stocks, pot stocks, like you name it. I'd probably traded through like a hundred different markets, <laughs> you know, yeah. looking back on it now. And, and obviously it's so interesting for me to, and you're probably hearing a lot of me like mentally reflect because I really haven't had a chance to do this since I started doing Zed full time. Um, yeah. So I'm excited for that opportunity too. Yeah. 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 And I can't, I can't wait. We'll, we'll jump into that shortly. Can't wait. Yeah, man. I, I think it's probably a testament to Mike, man. Uh, but before you, man, like it, it sounds like just a well-oiled machine there. Um, yeah. Like, like you said, like, like having that ability to like turn it on. I like, cause I, you know, I just think of like from my experiences throughout life, even like playing sports, right? Like it's always like, you know, you could have fun, but like when it's time to like turn it on, you turn it on and having that, that laser focus. And that starts at the top. In, in yeah, my absolutely. So, shout out to Mike. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, and, you know, Mike has, was always so good at that, like, you know, setting the stage, right? The new traders would come in for a morning meeting or he would talk to the senior traders privately beforehand and or the entire office would have that feeling where it's like, you're coming in today and there's a very decent chance that GameStop tops, well, GameStop, obviously we were, um, we were quarantined. I'm thinking about Tilray. So we were in the office for Tilray. I remember seeing Tilray every day, gapping up, gapping up, gapping up. Yeah, yeah. And we're starting to think like, the fact of the matter is if this thing breaks, you know, Shark's going to make $2 million. The head, head guys at the firm are going to make millions of bucks. You know, I just started this job. I'm like wearing a t-shirt I wore yesterday for Christ's sake, right? Like I'm, I'm looking at people doing life-changing amounts of things with money, right? And it warps your perception of reality a little bit. Like you really have to sit there, but there's nothing like the energy of watching somebody mm-hmm. do something incredible like that in real time. Yeah. Um, and that's probably what I look back and cherish the most from my experience at SMB is like watching excellence happen in real time is something that not a lot of people are fortunate enough to do. And I got to see that, you know, I got to see what I, people who I think I'm sure shark will go on to be one of the best day traders ever. I firmly believe that um, I've watched what he do, he's done in real time. I've been able to see every one of his executions on a chart in a day and I can't even follow what he's doing. Right. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's excellent. He was a great mentor. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I could just tell that's like the way, the way you're talking, just like from the experience too, and just having that, that mentorship, that support system, that's that, that's huge, man. Um, yeah. I mean, Ryan, Ryan echoed the same thing. The other Ryan, Ryan Hassan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Africa, shout out to him. He echoed yeah. the same thing about shark um, and, and really just the whole experience. So that, that's cool to see. Um, JJ, did you, did you have, did you have more questions before I jump back into it? Yeah, yeah, no, no. Just getting yeah. back to uh, you know the founder, uh, Mike Bellafiore. You know, you spoke a little bit uh, about him. Um, tell us a little bit what it was like to be managed by him or to work for his firm. I mean, just him in itself. I, that was one of the listener questions. 
Yeah. So to be honest with you, where, where he does the best is a lot of like the early hands-on learning, right? Like the fostering and mentorship of the new class. Eventually things kind of break off into the teams and yeah. he will kind of oversee the relationship between him, the lead trader and the risk manager, Carlton. And, and that's kind okay. of like a trifecta that kind of leaks down into the team and you might only talk to him, you know, when you really reach out to him or when you really need him, monthly mm. reviews, things like that. But when you're first learning, you know, he was in those meetings every single morning, right? Like mm. 11 o'clock, we had our trader development meeting. We'd come in at 11 o'clock and, and he would be leading, you know, what charts are we looking at, setting up patterns. Um, you know, obviously the YouTube content, most of the videos you see on YouTube are filmed with the trading class from that year in the room with him. You know, he's speaking to them. Uh, he was speaking to us and, and telling us, you know, really what the way to think about the market and how to kind of gear your brain for optimal performance, right? So what he did a really good job was like, once setting the stage, you know, you come in on the day, you could tell by his demeanor, whether or not we need to be in a position to take things extremely serious today. Is the market slow? Is the market heating up? He'd be thinking about the macro aspects of everything. Um, he did extremely well at kind of looking at the firm as a holistic thing, right? Like how, and obviously this at the time was way above my pay rate, but looking back on my experience now and kind of, you know, in self-reflection, it's like he was such a good manager of an entire firm. Like I can't imagine all the different pins and wheels that are going around. Like, you know, one team can't be too over leveraged or too focused. The entire firm can't be all shorting the same stock, right? Exactly. Because he did such a good job of being involved in those early mentorship stages while also being able to matriculate into, okay, who do we all go to if it eventually goes, you know, mm -hmm. something goes wrong and like we have to report up somewhere, you know? Um, and he'd be really pivotal and kind of saying, if you need more risk, if you think this position is worth more risk, you go to Carlton and you tell him what you need, right? He would give us the confidence to ask for the things that we needed. Um, and, and that's a unique trait of a manager, you know, giving, empowering someone to have the tools to look to build upon themselves instead of just, giving them the tool. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's oh, really cool. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll get the trading questions in before the, uh, you know, the horses start to run, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I am sticking around for that because I have a lot to learn. Right. So the old guy's trying to learn some new tricks. Um, what do you say? I get at least once a week, most probably 10 times a week. I get messages from people saying, you know what? Uh, I'm not successful as a retail trader because my account's too small. Can you help me get in and work at a firm? Mm -hmm. And I try and tell them that that's not exactly what a firm is looking for when they're hiring. Right. <laughs> it, you know, uh, because they're like, well, dude, that's my buddy. We're not going to let you blow it up if you can't even run your own. Right. Um, you know, so I, I just want, because I've never traded prop. I've always been an order flow jockey. And then I used to take companies public and make a market to sell the stock into. Right. So from a prop trader, I'd really love you to address that, that because I get this every, every week, you know, help me get in at a firm because I'm not profitable. Um, you know, just, just kind of, you know, tell me your thoughts on that. If, if you were hiring right now, cause you've been in the chair, right? Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. You know, I think a lot about how, I kind of my journey and, and the journey of others who I know, like, like Tom, for example, like Tom's never traded at a prop firm, right? Like he, it's all his own money. And I've heard these intimate stories and I know he's come on 
a, a bunch of different mediums to discuss the way that he learned how to trade. But like the fact of the matter is it's oftentimes hell, right? Like if you really want to make it analogous to something like, I don't look back on my first year of trading and be like, holy shit, that was fun, man. Like, oh my God. Like the fact of the matter is I would have days where I came home and stopped out my account several days in a row, you know, $500 stop loss limit. When you start out, you lose 500 bucks, three days in a row, you got to make 1500 bucks back that month to break even. Right. I would have days where I'd go over my stop and, and no one would say anything because I was only over a little bit, but I would have that personal ownership. I would have days where I very early on when I was still kind of like piecing things together, I made a thousand bucks in a day for the first time. It was like the first one in my class to do that. And I was so pumped up because it meant I got a third screen, right? Like I, I had oh, two okay. monitors and he, okay. our risk manager said, you know, if, if you make a thousand bucks in a day, you get a third. Screen. Okay, cool. Oh, hey, hey Mike, Mike, yeah, like, Mike again. <laughs> That's funny. He gets a third screen. <laughs> hey, I love it. Right. So it's like, it's like certain uh, levels of incentivization, right? Yeah. But, if, but if sometimes for the wrong reasons, like I'm out there slinging, I think I was slinging like 600 share positions of UVXY, like in the middle of a volatility event and like trying to <laughs> thinking like, oh my God, if I bottom tick this man, 600 shares, what do I only need? Like a point and a half off this? I'm going to be, I'm going to be good. Yeah. Uh, and then one day it worked, right? Like, so like, <laughs> but that's not the right way to think about trading. And a lot of people on their own at home will had those similar environments where like you lose, you lose, you lose, you lose, you lose one, because you don't even know what you're doing, right? Maybe you're not learning from the right people. Maybe the resources that you provided aren't correct exactly. Two, Maybe you don't understand that the game isn't about following other people. It's not about looking for indicators. It's not about being told what to do. It's not about finding the best newsletter you can find who says, yeah, you know, we're going to, and not to bash any of the people who do this because I'm not in the business of that anymore, but people who like have newsletters and say, these are the hot stocks we're following good for them, right? Get your following, do your marketing. I understand mm -hmm. how business works. I, I got yeah. the brain for that. But at the end of the day, right? I can't tell you what stock to trade today, right? I can't even exactly. tell you where to buy it. I can't even tell you where to sell it. I couldn't even guide you step-by-step step through the process because your brain's going to be asking you different questions once you click that button than what I'm going to be telling you. You're going to exactly. click that button, get in the position and be like, okay, okay. Do I sell here? Like, shouldn't I sell here? Because uh, the tick seems like it's a little bit weak. Uh, the AD line mm -hmm. seems to uh, maybe making a lower high. Oh man, like all this stuff, cross currents, blah. Like you can hear your own brain psychology start to cross your wires together. Oh yeah. And that might make you sell super early, right? Whereas I'm saying, dude, I've seen these divergences a million times. Like, what are you doing? Hold, it's not that hard, right? Yeah. Like it's easy for a seasoned veteran to say things like that. Exactly. And that builds this like, discrepancy mentally between people who trade for a firm and people who trade at home. They think that they don't have, you know, access to something secret that the prop firms have to teach you how exactly. to manage this stuff. Exactly. But right. It's, not, it's like, not how it works. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't get to pull back the veil and, and there's, no. there's nobody, you know, standing at a computer, pushing these buttons that controls the world. Exactly. Right? You know, it's, it's everybody, even guys, you know, cause but uh, I, I'm really, really happy that you said that because I, I just, all you guys out there who are contacting me, listen to this man because he's actually done it and he's walked in those shoes. So, yep. you know, uh, if you're not profitable, go back to the drawing board, Yeah, you know, and go and do the work. Yeah. And that, and that's one thing that Bell always did really well, right? Because when you're in those strings, and Dr. Steenbarger too, when you're in those strings where you're like, what I'm doing isn't working, is it me? Like, I feel like it's me, right? Like I'm so lost in my own psychology. Like one thing that you also have to remember is that you could just not have any edge. Like if you're exactly. doing something with no statistical advantage, you're going yeah. to lose money. Like right. this is your thing. You're trying to take money from the best people to ever manage money ever. 
exactly. computers that have billions of dollars trying to figure yeah. out how to do this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And if you think that your brain is telling you or things are rigged against you, you're lost, right? Yeah. And it's okay to be lost. Exactly. Everybody who learns how to trade is lost. Exactly. Yeah. I was in this game since 1993. Yeah, retail, trading, <laughs> retail trading is the hardest thing I've ever done, right? Because when you go from controlling the order flow to trying to figure it out, then all these things like discipline, mm-hmm. risk management, I can't stuff a bad trade in somebody's inventory. Right. I, you know, I can't bribe my compliance officer. <laughs> right. All of these things that were normal course of business in the 90s, they don't exist now. So, you know, all of this stuff, discipline, what the hell's discipline? Right. So, you know, all of that stuff, um, it, it was really, really hard for me. And that's why I really respect retail traders because oh yeah, it, it's it's so much harder than institutional. Institutional, the worst thing is picking up the phone or, you know, and you can always fix things unless you're like really fat fingers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And I've seen but, that uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Right. No, that's really good. I, I'm, I'm so happy that we, uh, you know, that we have you talking about that because it's, uh, it, it's just something that Ray and I see a lot. You know, uh, people are looking for that magic eight ball. Yeah. The and, secret sauce, right? Like you know, they, they believe in that. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately with all the, all the stuff on the internet, you know, they believe stuff like there is this magic thing, or yeah. the secret head fund manager, you know, it, it's just like, oh man, it's, 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 it's horrible. Cause then they come with these expectations. So I'm glad. Yes. Yeah. Managing expectations is like one of the most important things I learned in my career. And, mm-hmm. and the other thing I'll say about, you know, education and what's out there is like, you're going to have snake oil salesmen, right? Like oh, yeah. it's a tale as old as time. People have been trying to sell bullshit to people forever right? Yeah. You're not going to, it's not ever going to go away. People are so deluded in their own idea of whatever they're doing, that they're going to be willing to sell you something for it. And yeah. if there's a market for it, well, hell, you know, that's, what's going to happen. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that, you know, SMB too, to their credit, like I made tons of YouTube videos where I talked exactly like I'm talking right now, right? I was the one making those PowerPoints talking about my trading career. When Shark okay. came on, you know, he's making those PowerPoints, like every piece of educational content that comes out from SMB is like, sourced from professional traders on in the field right so there's nothing that we're hiding from anybody right like i never i never said on an interview or said in a video like "Ooh, can't give that one away sorry man yeah right? never once no. i was always 100 transparent and some prop firms might not do that but the fact of the matter is that we're not doing anything different we're all competing for the same scraps of the market right we're yeah. all trying to find our niche trying to do something with it don't get too caught up in the fact that like you have to be something that you might not be. You might not be the person who could short a stock up 500% in a day. You might have to be the guy like, like Tom would always say this, like, I can't trade those stocks, right? He's like, yeah. he's like, I trade institutionally on blue chip stocks in a bull market that pull into support. It's mm-hmm. like, you can break it down that easily. And if you can't break it down that easily to explain really simply, yeah. you're going to be in trouble. You shouldn't be buying these out of the money calls and bullshit stocks. Cause you think that that's the next thing. Right. And there's so we'll get to it, but there's so many parallels with the yeah. NFT world as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. you see all this stuff leak because it's speculation, right? Tales yeah. All the time. Oh, yeah. Do you also at SMB real quick, because when I bring people in and they're always trying to correlate markets and looking at 20 different things uh, and I tell them, just learn how to trade one thing well before learning how to trade six things poorly. Yeah. Do you guys do that? Like, yeah, 100%. Uh, focus, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, we would try and narrow it down as quickly as possible. And you would have to say why you think all of a sudden your new setup deserves the same amount of risk as something you've been working on for a month. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Like I couldn't be the guy like trading, you know, with a thousand dollar stop, for example, intraday stop and spy. And then all of a sudden blow a thousand dollars intraday shorting a random, you know, micro cap that popped up. Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't, they, there is that level of, you know, Hey, are you trading something you shouldn't be trading? You, you can yeah. do it. You can do it. No one's going to stop you, yeah. but you have to deal with the repercussions. You might be stopped out. You might be on the demo for a week. You might not uh-huh. be able to trade those symbols. So Understood. there's always um, a push and pull with management and, and your own uh, personal kind of personal management, I guess, like um, discipline, definitely. Excellent. Um, I was I was th- I was thinking as you guys were conversating, Ryan. Um, you know, we were touching on the, the the positives of like having a team and working together. And I guess maybe it's kind of a reflection, of kind of I want to say my own struggles, but maybe some I did. Like I have to battle with myself sometimes. It's because like we we trade with a group of people, and um, if I see somebody, you know, let's say he's having a better day than me, or he's trading something that I wasn't trading, and he made a lot of money, and like I could, I'm a competitive person. Absolutely. And, and I think sometimes, you know, I have to battle from, hey, blocking all that out, just focus on what you do good, right? Focus on what you do good. Maybe my for this day, my setups just weren't hidden or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. But it could lead me to getting out of my comfort zone sometimes because I want to, oh, hey, this guy's outperforming me today or something like that. Did you ever have to battle with that at all? And oh, all if the you time. did, how did you block? How did you just focus, you know, block it out? Yeah, I guess I had like an intimate, intimate situation with that because like I had alluded to, I was trading spy and market profile and a structure that like no one else was doing. Like, to be honest with you, they were barely using ticket SMB before I came there. I, I feel like it kind of like caught fire and then Bella started using it more and, and shark would start using it more. And like the advanced decline line, I would start teaching all the new kids who came in. And then now it seemed to me before I left that, like it was pretty widely understood thing that like, if you came in and you want to trade the overall market, if you don't have an understanding of market internals, like, you know, you're not trading this. Right. Um, but when I started, it was like, I had been told many times, like, Hey, you're sitting next to one of the best traders on the street and you just are not trading what he's trading. You know, you're trading spy, like you're in your own world. Like you're trading in a VIX that's under 20, right? Like I was trading spy no matter what I didn't give a damn. Right. I didn't care if this VIX was 11, you know, I'm, I'm going for it. This is my niche, right? This is where I truly believe I'm going to find myself as a trader. Yeah. Um, so I would have to deal with the fact that no one else at the firm was doing what I was doing. I didn't have anybody to say like, oh, I shouldn't have bought that dip right in spy, huh? I got stopped out there. Their solution would be, you know, why aren't you trading something with like two or three relative R vol in the day? You know, like, you know, you're trading something with no volume. Of course, it's not going to move. Of course, you're going to get shaken out. Um, but where I, the way I kind of got out of that, I guess, is honestly, I waited for a market with a little bit more volatility and that kind of came at the same time and, you know, came at the same time as me kind of understanding that like it was such a personal journey I was on and it really didn't matter. I, at the time, only two kids from my class were left out of like seven or eight who started. Um, it's just me and, and, and my buddy, Justin Spiro, who's still at the firm, excellent trader. He, he's going to be good. He, um, he and I were the only two left. And I started to think to myself like, okay, I'm still here. They still want me here, even though I'm not making money you know, I must have something more in myself than I think. So I kind of needed those confidence boosts where I'm like, okay, let's just trade a little bit smaller. And my girlfriend and I actually had this whiteboard in our old apartment that said, you know, all you have to do is make a hundred dollars a day. You make a hundred dollars a day, $500 a week, you make two grand a month, you know, exactly. you, can, you can start structuring things more appropriately. And I would come home and I'd either check that box or I'd have to not check that box. And that level of accountability started to come. And I knew that the only way I was going to get to check that box is trading my niche and doing what I believed in. And then it started to couple with obviously 
you know, COVID happened. And at the time of COVID, I guess I was like, what, a year in? I started live trading December 2019 or 2018. Trying to, sorry, I'm mixing these dates up in my head. NFT world moves at the speed of light. So like oh, I, I'm losing track, right? <laughs> I promise. Um, but I was, uh, I was trading, you know, like a year, year and two months. And then obviously the market started to move heavily in February. And, and um, obviously March is when things really kicked off with COVID. And then we moved to St. Louis and I was trading, you know, in my own, environment. I wasn't in the office anymore. I kind of, not only was I now in my own lane due to what I was trading, I was in my own lane due to the fact that I was literally sitting in the basement of my girlfriend's parents' house with no one to talk to. If I didn't get on discord or talk to somebody like I'm just here, right? Like this is, it's me in the computer now. And I have a market that's paying people who know how to trade spy, right? Like this is the first time where the volatility is so high. I'm getting like you know, two, $3 moves and spy in one day. And I'm like, this is amazing, right? All the work that I put in, all the money I lost for an entire year straight is starting to pay out. And I ended up, I think I made in April after that, I think I made 30 grand that month. And that was like starting to eat into everything I'd lost in my first year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I'm like, you know, now I'm potentially getting to the point where, you know, I can get a paycheck for my trading. Uh, you know, the stipend isn't what's supporting me anymore. Like I'm one step away. I'm getting risk bumps. I started to get sized up. Um, and then all of a sudden I was like trading the market, getting sized up, doing really well. And I got my stop all the way up to like five grand, right? I could in intraday, I could make, I could lose five grand. And that was my stop. Everything's a function of that number, right? So if you're trading from home and you haven't heard of like R multiples or anything like that, you know, essentially what I would do is I would have an intraday stop and every setup deserved a certain percentage of that risk so that I never would stop out on one position. Um, and these are all like sound risk management techniques that people way better than me, you know, have explained, you know, in depth, um, you know, but the crust of it is that, you know, I basically got away from those rules because I got kind of addicted to the feeling of having that risk and needing and feeling like I needed to use it in a scalable way. Right. Like I knew a trade that I used to risk $200 on, you know, proportionally in my $500 stop and it would work. Now I need to be risking two grand on a trade above a $5,000 stop. Well, you lose twice on a two grand trade. You're basically done for the day. Yeah. Um, and that was happening because the market was changing so much faster than anyone around had any idea about, you know, we completely collapsed in March of 2020. And then you know, V bottomed out of there and like, just never went down again. You know, we chopped around a ton and you know, the, there was like a big um, consolidation period. I, you know, I haven't looked at a spy chart in so long now, but um, I just remember like the volatility contracted, you know, we weren't getting these big moves intraday anymore. And I didn't adapt. Qu- and I, to be fair, I think SMB as a firm probably was a little bit too short, um, short-minded at that time, but I kind of think most of the world was. I think most uh, people, that's what I was going to say. A lot of people were. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah, see yeah, we got 20% pretty quick. Um, yeah, I think most we people were, were thinking that. We were until we realized that, uh, you know, the other time frame really didn't sell that much after they pulled the 13 Fs. Right, right. And then we know it's just all margin call selling, you know, a la Billy Wang. Mm-hmm. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, so I basically didn't really adapt well enough. And, and what it came down to me is, and we had actually alluded to this too, like, the aggression, right? Like I am a firm believer that there's a certain marriage between feel and intuition and professional trading technique. And if you can't find that match that fits your personality and, and kind of gives you that positive feedback loop, like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Let's get aggressive. I'm doing the right thing. Let's get aggressive. Uh, I need to be reserved. I need to step back, right? If you can't. Oh, Mike, Mike, Brian. Mike. 
Yeah, yeah. Again, uh, just getting the mic worked out for the uh, the Zed Run streams on okay. Twitch. You got you guys are doing them on Twitch, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're doing nice, them on Twitch. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but um, yeah, essentially, w- w- the issue I ended up having was I'm, I'm such an aggressive person, right? Like I, I really like. I'm so confident. Like I really, and you know, this isn't me being arrogant or anything. This is like the, this is what I found out about myself from trading, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm stubborn. I really like firmly and wholeheartedly believe in my decisions when I make them. Um, and I needed to be humbled in the respect that like, it didn't matter how much I believed in myself. It didn't matter how hard I worked. Like I'm just wrong sometimes. Right. And like having to balance what that does to you mentally, like knowing you know, no matter how confident, how hard you work, you're still going to be wrong. Like, I don't know. I think I, my lifetime career, I think it was like 40, right. 44% of the time uh, with like a 1.6% win to loser or something like, or 1.6 win to loser. Right. Like statistically I was long, I was wrong more than half the time. Um, and it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with that meant, you know, how to um, structure my risk appropriately, how to look for higher risk reward trades to kind of you know, when I was right, I needed to be right, like six, seven X, right? Like I would have, I think um, my biggest trade ever, I shorted Tesla on that day that it, it really collapsed. And I ended up, make, ended up making 20 grand on one trade. It's the biggest trade I ever made in my career. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about that is three days previous, I'd lost five grand each day, right? I'd stopped out three days in a row. And then that final day I hit it, right? And now looking back, I remember being like, oh yeah, what I was doing, those three days, you know, doesn't even matter because I was right. It just took me three days. But like the difference between me and Shark is that Shark is hedging with options. He has this really unique way of structuring his trades. He's not losing money that much. He's drawing down, but when he's finally right, he's going to make six, seven times that, right? And I was trying basically, you know, taking all these hits, taking all these hits and then nailing that next one, but it was too damaging to my psychology, right? Like it wasn't the right way for my personality. Some guys can literally draw down you know, 5R and then hit a 10R trade. And that's their style, right? You still made two to one if you think about it, but you spent five days in the hole. No, those are the sickos. I can't do that. Right? <laughs> yeah, but those are also people, you know, who are in the bathroom throwing up. Yeah, it takes uh, a certain level of mass. Yeah, hey, listen, right? <laughs> I, I used to have a boss. I used to have a boss who had a bottle of Pepto-Bismol on the trade desk in his office, in his Mercedes, in his Viper, Everywhere he went, he had, you know, because we were, you know, running with the devil and yeah, yeah. it's just, oh man, it's just not worth it. Yeah, it's just not. You it. Know, you, not it takes a very, very unique type of person to be able to do that. Like you have to, one, you have to have a level of conviction that probably is completely undeserved in some instances, right? Yeah. Like you have to be willing to watch yourself just get slapped in the face and then still know that when you see the turn, right? Like if you're shorting a stock all the way up, oh yeah, that turn happens, you can't sit there and be like... <coughs> Am yeah, I right here. Like, no, yeah. you just lost four days in a row shorting the stock. When this thing breaks, if you sure shit, better make sure you double whatever you just lost in those four days. If you can't yeah. do that, this isn't your style. You should be a chip. Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. So, that's what that, that's why I'm a grinder. Yeah, you have to yeah. find what works for you. Like that works yeah. for Tom too. You know, like Tom's yeah. a grinder. He can make he can make so much money if he just does exactly what he needs to do, right? Like does yeah. this day in, day out, does this day in, day out. And I I kind of throughout my career struggle to really find like who I was as a trader. I honestly mm. think towards, towards right around when I was, before I got into Zed, like those several month period before um, I learned about NFTs was like kind of when I started to come into my own. Um, oh, I, okay. So it's interesting, right? Like the yeah. whole parody of everything is like, I probably was the best trader I had been throughout my career the day I left. 
Yeah. Right? And, but I believe that's how it works for every trader. Like you're better every day. And if you're not, you know, you're in the wrong career. Yeah, 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 sure. But I, um, and this, I imagine this, we'll get into this, but I imagine this has prepared you so well for the NFT market. And, and I'll probably argue this probably the, the opportunity there. I'm assuming that's probably why you made the transition, but we'll jump into that. I got just a couple more trading stuff. Yeah, yeah, go um, for it. I, I know, I know you kind of touched on the, you know, your spy trading. Um, what, you know, we don't got to spend a lot of time on this, but what, what type of strategies uh, were you uh, implementing? Yeah. So my, my favorite trades, like my favorite trades were those divergences. Um, I, I always kind of felt like I was kind of getting to peek at something that a lot of other people weren't using. Like there's a lot of price action traders who like, you know, you trade VWAP, you trade EMAs, you do, you do things like that. But like all of those are derivative of price, right? They're a derivative of what you're seeing on screen. Whereas if you're trading off of the advanced decline line, you're using market internals, like using volume profile, you're kind of looking under the hood. Um, and I, that attracted me. Like, I really liked the idea that like whatever I was trading was the groundwork for what I was making money on. Um, I liked the idea that, you know, I could see when things were out of whack, right? Like not really arbitrage opportunities, but more so like, you know, the market needs to snap back into reality in certain ways. Um, and this leaked into the rest of my trading too. Like one of Shark's best trades is when a, um, a stock gets a certain period away from a five-day moving average. Like if it's, you know, a couple standard deviations away from a five-day moving average and it's too extended, it's used too much energy to get up there, you know, oftentimes they snap back and those are really good trades. I would love how there'd be divergences where like, could the advanced decline line is making new highs um, or the advanced decline line is not making new highs as we're making new highs. That's short, right? Like those types of um, divergences that were really attractive to me. And they were even more so attractive to me when they hit one of my, you know, my volume profile levels with an extended tick. Um, so what I did really well was eventually finding those setups where I had so much in my favor that if I didn't take the trade, I would be in trouble, right? Like I would say to myself, I was like, I missed my A plus trade. And I took a lot of ownership on knowing what that was. And I also probably punished myself a lot when I took trades that weren't those A plus trades, um, which is probably more so what held me back as a trader. If I look back um, at my career, um, I think if I had kind of lasered in a little bit more and, and kind of found my personality in trading sooner, and it's hard for me to like wrap my head around what it was like that first year, like going into the firm, living in New York for the first time. Like, you know, there's so many other things that were happening in my personal life and stuff like that too, that certainly affect that trading. Um, but in terms of like the actual setups, like, yeah, I love divergent setups. I love really buying like more, super high time frame supports. Like, you know, a Weiss does a really good job um, in the e-mini player, like daily updates. He's like, he'll bold in a zone, right? If he thinks like, this is super strong support or super strong resistance. And that be, that's because there's a bunch of confluence of really major technical things aligning with volume as well. Like I loved fading the crap out of those, those, um, um, those setups, but I was a fade trader for sure. You know, I didn't do a lot of momentum breakouts. Um, I didn't do a lot of like buying pull-ins from breakouts, retests of support. I really looked for trend reversals a lot, probably way more than I needed to. And, Trend reversals is a, uh, it's not a old man's game. Let's say that. <laughs> right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're the guy looking for a major market reversal, the reward, obviously you get to, I would do really well at, you know, 
finally getting that turn and then just continuing to buy or short the entire way up. Like I buy the next pullback, double down, right? I was really good at doubling my positions, right? Like if I bought that first support and it came up, took out another support and then retested that higher support, you know, I have one support here, one support here, clears bold, then pulls into that top one. I'm risking this bottom zone and loading the boat at that higher one because my cost basis is lower, right? I was really good at, at kind of, I was really good at building upon my first initial success, right? Like if I was right on my first move, my second move was going to be way righter than my first move. Does that make any sense? Sure. Yeah, like kind absolutely. of using your own momentum. Yeah. Um, and that's a confidence based attribute, right? And it's an aggression based attribute. Oh yeah. So I'd had a ton of scratch trades that were scratches because I got too big because I thought I was right. You know, tails all this time there too. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Yeah. I, I, it's funny, JJ. I, I, I think like everyone we talk to, there's like two things like they echo. I think one, um, it's not about the percent. Like you said, you, you win less than 50% of your trades. And, and even what you said around 44%, that's even probably high for a lot of the people we even talk to. I know it's even the lowest 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that and then also in Ryan, I swear this, this is something we could, we're not going to talk on it today, but it's something, you know, we talk about all the time. And I swear, I mean, you could probably talk for hours on it is the the revelations that you learn about yourself through trading. Right. Um, like, and like, like same thing with myself. I think I've learned. I, yeah, I've learned more through myself in trading and poker than I think like anything, like any other activity I've done. Maybe just quickly, what, what do you think has been one of the biggest things? I know you mentioned aggression, um, confidence, et cetera. Anything else that stands out to you that you learned about yourself? Yeah, probably like learning to one, acknowledge your own faults and two, like recognizing that there does become a point in any like performance-based endeavor, like where if you don't come to terms with the things that are most holding you back, and if you don't hit like, you know, addicts have rock bottom, right? And, and that's like the philosophy that there's a certain point where it can't get much worse. All you can do is pull yourself out. And there's like that mental similarity to some aspects of trading where like you've lost doing the same damn thing so many times you're either going to keep doing this and fail and then you won't be a trader anymore or you get to that point where like this is holding me back from being as great as i should be right Mm -hmm. like that that's something that dr steenberg talks a lot about he's like you should feel hurt you should feel emotional damage to your based on your performance because the brain needs certain things to make categorical change the brain doesn't change if it feels complacency, right? If you're okay with your faults, you're like, it's going to be better next time. I'll be cool. I'll be cool. It's going to work, right? I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. Having a positive attitude is great. But if you don't sometimes look at yourself in the mirror and be like, holy shit, if I keep doing this, I'm going to fail. And I'm going to have to leave this job. This opportunity is out of the window. I'm going to have to figure out what to do with my life. All my, everything I've done in my past is fucked. Like that's when you get to that point, that's when real mental change happens Mm -hmm. and if you don't get there if you're not even willing or brave enough to acknowledge that that's necessary you're not going to make it right it's just the way it works that's um and a lot of people that i met in my trading career like either didn't have the emotional capacity to recognize that that was necessary in their professional career um to make the switch when it was necessary or just let it consume them and they had they moved on to other things and that's good for them they're going to be successful somewhere else you know, it's not like you fail at trading and you're a shit person, which is another thing I should mention. I learned a lot about a lot of people in this job will mirror their personality based off of their trading performance, right? Oh. Like they will think about themselves as a shit person because they're a shit trader. Yep. That's not how it works, man. Like have a life outside of this job. Mm-hmm. The markets aren't everything that's going on. Um, and it took me a long time to get to that point. You know, I had 
you know, there's a lot of damage from the last two years um, of my learning and trading and things that affected my personal relationship and things that affected me mentally that, you know, you have to work your way out of because it's a taxing career, emotionally, professionally, time-based, academically, like it's one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. Um, and I'm not really going to, I'm not going to butter it up for anybody, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, cause it'd be doing people a disservice. It, yeah. it, it, it really would. I mean, and I totally agree with you, Ryan, man, I got that. That's just something that's taken me so long it, to like separate myself from who I am as a, like a, a trader or as a gambler or whatever, like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, because I've, I've damaged relationships myself. Like, let's say I've been on a down streak. Um, I, and I'm not in a good mood and I'm not, you know, like, and just separating that from like who you are and like your relationships and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so, no, I, I, I like that you're not glamorizing, uh, everything because you know, it's, yeah, it'd be doing people a disservice for sure. Yeah. JJ. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. No, this is, this is good because you guys are from a new generation, right? I mean, I started out when they could still smoke on trading floors and, and in trading on trading desks. Right. And um, you know, when you start back in the days where I was, and I was in Vancouver, so it's not even like New York, those people are rough, you know, but Vancouver was like a rough, really rough place. And it's like, sit down, shut up. Don't touch anything. You're an idiot. That's what you get. That That's training. That's your first day, right? Answer the phone. Make sure it doesn't ring more than once. Otherwise, you're fired, <laughs> right? And if you screw up my breakfast order, you're fired, right? This is, you know, that's how you were talked to, yeah, yeah. right? It was, it was like abuse from the get-go, right? And then after the close, they take you out and get you drunk, right? <laughs> right? And that, that, those, those are the guys I learned from were the old eye gougers, right? That's risk reward, right? Isn't yeah, that how yeah, it works? You know, and these guys, you know, these guys, one of them used to dig pools, you know, one of them, you know, they were all from different backgrounds. Like none of them had, you know, gone to Wharton or any of this right. stuff. I mean, they're like, they could, some of them couldn't even spell Wharton. Right. But the, you know, but these guys could, you know, you know, you need to move $20 million worth of paper in three days, they'll do it, you know? So yeah, it's, it's really interesting listening to how you guys talk because, and, and the whole thing about tying up your identity and trading I did for 20 years and, right. you know, and it wasn't until I had a heart attack and died that I realized, uh, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, you know, I should try and be a better person or deal with a life or, you know, that kind of thing. So, right, right. you know, it's, it's really, it's healthy. And the good thing too, about you guys is older guys make, make fun of it, of the psychology uh, you know, that you guys actually, the mindfulness and all those kinds of things, mm -hmm. but it's really, I, I think it, if, if we had had that, we had Tom Basso on the podcast last time. And I was like, man, you know, if I had had a boss like him who was so chill, you know, and actually kept perspective, you know, um, in life, what was really important, you know, would my career have been different, you know, had I, instead we were like, you know, you know, you had to get up ready to bite the ass off a bear. That was how we were, you know, everything was just yeah. high aggression, you know, and everybody was in competition and people were shorting each other's deals and, you know, all sorts of crazy things like that. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's good to see that you guys have progressed and evolved and, uh, it, you know, it hasn't gotten any easier, but at least you're a bit more mindful of, uh, of its place in your life, which is a good thing. Yeah. And I, and I feel like, a, I feel like a lot of that is a product too of like, 
you know, the environment of like what a professional trading floor looks like now as compared to then, like there was a considerable amount of time that we're, we're dead silent on the floor, yeah. right? Every, your it, computers, obviously yeah. everything mm-hmm. changes, technology changes everything. But like now it really does become a considerable part of the game is going on inside silently of your head, right? Yeah. And you, all your brain is getting fed all these flashing lights and like, it's almost like a casino. And, you know, I had a bunch of stuff like my, um, my Dom was like never colored. Like I always had a color gradient. I, I hated anything flashing on the screen that made me feel like it was a casino. Like I took oh, yeah. all colors off. You know, my yeah. PL was gray, no matter what positive or negative, like got it. Okay. I, I took, I took a lot of the psychological steps really serious because like I said, my previous profession was, you know, thinking about psychology in a clinical way. Right. Yeah. So I, I had thought about those things. Like I meditated a lot. Um, I tried a bunch of different things to get myself kind of in the right headspace to perform. And it's all a consequence of the fact that like, you know, there's much less personal relationship building in the job now than probably there ever has been because half the time, Jesus, you're computing against supercomputers, right? Like you're trying to figure out why the hell they're stuffing you know, uh, yeah. a stop loss by three cents, right? Like how that, yeah. I, I would have trades where let's say, and this happened a lot in the meme stocks where there would be like, you know, a local high of like 156.60, right? And I'd be like, you know what they're going to do, man? They're going to take that out and they're going to stop it at 157 on the nose, right? I'm going to, I swear, I swear yeah. that's not in my career. I'm going to put a sell offer in at 156.99 and a stop offer of 157.01. And I'm going to see what happens. And yeah. I could not tell you the number of times I'm like, oh my God, they held the whole number. Like, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the greatest, right? Like, no one's ever been better than me ever, yeah. right? And then I do that 16 times and lose every single time on the way back up, right? So yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of those things that happen now that like really just do come down to, you know, how do you make yourself a little bit less of a monkey? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the greatest. It's, it's funny, you remind me, Ryan, I, you know, I got uh, I got another uh, person. He, he's in the stable with me. He invests in the, in the stable. And anytime one of the horse, one of our horses wins, he's like, oh, my God, we got the best stable <laughs> the best in the world. I'm like, dude, relax, man. That's <laughs> how I am. So that's kind of how I was early. And, that, and I'll speak yeah. on my business partner. Um, he's like, so he followed me throughout my trading journey. And he like he knew the struggles I was going with. He lived with me for a couple months in New York City while I was while I was trading full time. Uh, he's a software engineer, brilliant kid, known him since I was like 10 years old. Um, and we'll speak about that whenever we make the segue. But mm-hmm. he was, he's like the balancing figure, right? And like, if you don't have that, you either have to do it internally or reach out to your support system, right? If you don't have a trading psychologist, I swear, if you, if you email Dr. Steenbarger, there's a non-zero chance he will get back to you, right? Like there's a decent opportunity for you to reach out, cold email these people. Like Bella Fiore sends emails back to people who cold email him all the time. Right? Like DM me on Twitter. I, Jesus, I'm at my computer all day long. Like if it's a trading question, I probably still will answer. It's not like this stuff just went out of my head just because I'm doing something else full time. You know, like there are resources out there and people ready to help. You just can't be afraid to be honest. Like I want you, if you were, if you're my mentee, I want you to look me in the eyes and tell me I'm dumb as shit. I keep doing this. Exactly. I oversize. I keep doing this. Like have the wherewithal to be like, this is what's wrong with me. And then if you say that, I'm like, oh, dude, I used to do that all the time. Here's what I did to fix it. But if you mm-hmm. don't tell me what's going on in your head and you're like, oh, I just keep trading the wrong setups. I'm like, all right, don't trade those setups. And then you keep trading the setups. I'm like, why the fuck are you still trading those setups? When it really just comes down to, oh, I think that this is FOMO. This is where I need to be. Uh, someone it had news. I feel like my friends are trading it. Like there's so much other shit that goes on. Um, but yeah, it really is. Like for me, it was one just 
big psychological experiment that has kind of changed me dramatically from who I was before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm sure for the better too. So I think, I think now it's, I like to think so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I think now's a good time to, to uh, segue over. I mean, man, I mean, Ryan, I mean, just like, I don't know why you quit and, and I'm sure you're about, you're going about to tell us, but just the fact that you did it, um, you quit SMB capital to, do you know run this analytic website which is phenomenal i mentioned in the opening thank you um you know to dive in head first and zed i mean you have to have some compelling reasons you're you're a smart guy i know talking to you for an hour so far Matt, probably longer i mean we're, we're really going on here um but uh it made me feel good that i'm not like just uh, <laughs> out of my mind here because as jj will tell you i i've been like going hard at this um and then uh, once i uh, see yeah, go ahead. And taking heat. And taking heat. Yeah, taking heat <laughs> right. from some people, but I don't right. care. We're all right. too, like you, Ryan. Yeah. I got conviction. No, right. I'm sticking with it. Yeah. Um, but um, and then I seen too, um, you know, the guys who acquired your site, your guys' site. And shout out to you guys, by the way. Congratulations. That's that's Thank awesome. You. Because I know Jonathan Bales, I, I don't know him, but I followed him for years. Um, I've been a donkey DFS player, like I've mentioned to you before. Oh, yeah. Um, Horrible. Um, Which is anyway. such BS because I should be good, but I suck. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like a thing, too. I like, I'm like, man, I should be good. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later on that, too. But um, I, I know Jonathan Bales to be a very sharp guy. Um, I've learned a lot from him. I've learned a lot from, like, Levitan. I don't know if Levitan's involved with all that. Mm-hmm. Adam Levitan. Um, I've learned a lot from those guys, just just, you know, analytical, sharp thinking. So I, I guess, man, yeah, t- tell us, man. Uh, Quit SMB for for doing this. Yeah. So yeah, so so it's, it's obviously it's quite the story and it ballooned into something that you know Tyler Tyler Close is um is my business partner. He's, shout out, he's shout the, out to Tyler. Yeah, yep. shout out Tyler. He's the lead developer. I don't have any software experience, so everything you see on the front end, the back end, he's the genius behind that. And and I kind of honestly have blended a lot of my trading knowledge and and my genetic knowledge too, because we'll, we'll work, we'll work out how that deals in too. And my analytical ability and business and all that stuff. We kind of uh, have, we're like the dynamic duo, in my opinion, um, kind of like a culmination of everything we've ever done professionally has kind of worked out in this space. Um, but where we all got started was with NBA top shot. Mm-hmm. So obviously being a full-time speculator and him being somebody super in tune with, you know, tech and, and crypto and, and things that were going on, he, gets me introduced to top shot and you know i find figure out what nfts are uh, non-fungible tokens obviously uniquely identifiable on the blockchain you know we're talking about you know one of one things that you know have their own place in the universe you could say and and the fact that it's fun and there's the potential to make money you know it's mainstream available it's sports it's basketball you know i like following basketball it was fun like trying to find you know get in line for packs the queue system was out of control like you know, this is February, right? Um, and this is like the original, this is like the, it, at the time it was the primary bull run for NFTs, right? I, like my philosophy is that we could potentially be in like the main run, but you know, it's impossible to, to speculate on that. But, um, you know, I, I had felt like things were going crazy. Like if you got a top shot moment in the drop, like you were going to triple your money instantly. Right? Yeah, like, it was sick. I did. Was you know, sick. I got a, I got a bunch. It was sick. Like I paid yeah. twenty bucks, fourteen bucks for a pack, and it was worth three hundred dollars right away. I'm like, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread, right? Like I've never seen an opportunity like this before in my life. Um, and then obviously dealt with the frustrations of not getting in the drops. Um, you know, I'm a basketball fan, but I don't know enough about it to like really be in on, you know, um, 
which, which moments I should be following the market was a little bit complicated, like evaluate.market, like hadn't even really gotten off the ground yet. Um, and like third, so one thing about the NFT space is third, third party community tools are like the most powerful you've ever seen in terms of their contributions to the space. Cause a lot of these projects are like bootstrapped, right? Like they, they basically put this together as quick as they could just to get involved in the hype. And then it's up to these legitimate third-party analytical sites to be like trying to portray value on these assets to help people figure out what the hell's going on Um, because the space is so fast paced. Like there's so much going on. Um, And I remember I got a text from Tyler one day and he's like, probably similar to the most people who played the games experience. He said, said, Hey man, like there's this new project that's called Zed run. And I'm like, what's it about? You know, knowing I had had a short bias on so much of crypto and everything. Cause I watched the 20, like 2017, 2018, like, you know, I remember I went and did my brother's a, a high school teacher and I went and did like a little career day for him when I was a professional trader. And someone asked me about Bitcoin. This is like right before the crash the, from 20K originally, um, whenever that was December of what, 2018. I think 18, like, yeah, I think yeah. 18 it was, yeah. Um, and someone asked me about it, like, how do we buy, like, do you trade Bitcoin? How do you get Bitcoin? I walked out of the room and I said, you got to sell everything you have. Like, this is a rule. Like, this is gospel. Gospel is if your guy pumping your gas tells you about something, it's time to, to get out, right? Like, that's what tale is all this time. As soon as mainstream adoption comes into play, the professionals start liquidating to them, right? Like, that's how it works. So I was skeptical, like, extremely about the, the way the space was developing. I thought Top Shot was, like, one of the most fragile things because of their inability to deliver at the time, like they've turned the project around completely. And, and Roham, I, you know, I don't know if any of those guys listen to, to trading podcasts or anything like that, but respect to their team. Um, Dapper labs is, is obviously funding most of that. Um, but they started to turn things around. He's like, let's check out this new project. I'm like ready to be done with top shot was losing track of the project was trading full time still. Um, and he introduced me to, it and he's like, here's the situation right? There are, the horses themselves are NFTs. The horses can race, they can breed and create new NFTs. Um, the entire thing is based in a genetic algorithm. Um, you can race on the tracks, there's different buy-ins, you know, you can make money from this. And I was like, I was like sitting there like, wait a second, like I'm a biomedical engineer by trade, like genetic algorithms. I know how this stuff works. Like I, I know how DNA recombination can be modeled by algorithms. I know how, point mutations can happen, how it's all RNG based, how, you know, there's certain things that happen, like in this architect architecture of a genetic algorithm, like, you know, it's 20 plus year old technology and nothing really changes because it's based in human genetics and human genetics is very operable, right? Like it has specific ways that it works and a lot of it's heavily random. So I was like instantly infatuated with the idea that an entire blending of like a gambling space was happening on something that I innately understood. Yeah. Um, and that kind of was my hook, right? Like everybody has their hook to get them into a project, be it making money, be, be it the art itself, be it being fascinated by the creators, respecting the creators. And there's tons of different ways to get that first on ramp into the product. Yeah. Um, it happened for us and he, Tyler was managing our little stable that we put together. So this was in a two day or two or three day period of early April where breeding was open. Yeah. So if you don't follow Zed, um, there was breeding is the integral part of the game, right? The ability to take one NFT, combine it with another NFT and have it create a new unique individual. And for that individual to be able to do whatever all the other individuals are doing, you can race it, you can breed it, that one itself. 
There's different rarity scales. All of this stuff is obviously pretty in-depth to get into on, you know, on an introductory call. But the point being, we started buying, I think we bought a Genesis. Her name's Honey Nut, right? So we bought a Genesis Honey Nut. Um, before that, we bought a legendary Finney named Huzzah. That's like the original horse that me and my friends bought. Five of us went in together, 200 bucks a piece. A couple of them put in 500. I think all in all said and done, we had like two grand in and we just bought a bunch of horses. And for that two day period, the breeding was open. We were going nuts, right? Like breeding our horses left and right. So now there's obviously limits, Limit, yeah. but at the time there was no limits. A horse was bred. You could breed it right away. Yeah. So we were going left and right breeding like crazy. And through that blur, we bred a horse, a Genesis Z8 buterin named or Z9 buterin named Honey Nut. And Tyler was able to what's called sniping a Z1 on the stud farm. So a Z1 is the highest bloodline in the game. They're, you know, supposed to be the most thoroughbred horses, like think like Secretariat, think stuff like that. Like they're the ones who are supposed to be siring like an entire generation, like most of the population, the most pure bloodline, you know, think about whatever analogy you can. We were able to get one for cheap. I think we ended up paying like six, 700 bucks at the time. You know, at this point, we're just players of the game. We're just trying to learn like everybody else. We don't know anything. There's no, there's not really any community tools. Like there's not anyone who can tell you what your horse is worth. Um, but I just remember we bred this horse and her name is Vanilla Bean. Oh, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Right. So this is the origin story. That's and, the origin and, story. Of, okay. And, 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 and she's, JJ, famous, this, she's famous in the game yeah. for, for you that don't know. She's, she's very popular. Yeah. She's one Crazy of the She's yeah. one of the most profitable horses of all time now. Oh, um, oh, cool. Yeah. So she is kind of, you know, when I think about it, we kind of built our brand on her back. Like she funded everything that we did just yeah. by wow. her own ability. Right. So like when you create a horse, it is, you know, there's, and we know so much more now than we did then, but, you know, at the time it felt very random. Like we hit the lottery and, and we did, you know, for a lot of different a lot in a lot of different respects, like the way that the, the breeding algorithm works is still widely misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we don't really understand. Oh, Mike, Mike, Ryan. Yeah. Wow. So he's this just is getting, he's just getting into the good part. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. We're getting the origin stories. Of yeah. The like I'm starting, I'm starting to learn. I'm I'll be on stream. I'll be on stream and it'll cut out like in the middle of the tangent of a lifetime. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So this origin story is important because this is kind of like the birth of know your horses. Right? Right. This horse ends up being incredibly fit. Right. So the way algorithms, genetic algorithms work is that there's an innate fitness score and the fitness score represents the individual's ability to perform against others in the population. Um, we have some metrics of this that aren't directly the fitness score, but they're representative of it. And, and that, that's all higher level analytical stuff that you can find on the website if you're interested. Um, but uh, we realize that she's an incredibly gifted individual in this game. She's winning left and right. She's getting first a lot, but we can't, we're freaking out because like she'll get first all the time and then she'll get last like an equal amount of the time. And we start calling her a Ricky Bobby horse, right? This is, <laughs> very early on this was not understood it's now come to be known as a u-shaped horse and we kind of i i want to say we invented that like there were other people doing it at the same time as us but like when it really breaks down to it we kind of popularized the idea of this low bloodline horse who is kind of like a lottery pick who somehow has the ability to race against these horses worth tens 20 30s 40 thousand bucks because um, at the time a z1 was i think a z1 had just gone in the drops for like around 35 yeah I think, 35 right? or 37 grand yeah it was around uh, there yeah so these horses are worth a considerable amount of money right 
and she's competing and beating them all over the place. Like we, we can't even figure out like how much money she's making because at the time, well, even now Zed doesn't really have the architecture to help you do pretty basic accounting, right? Like it didn't have what places she was getting the most. It didn't have how much money she made on any given day. Like all these professional level analytics that I wanted because I was trading, just came from trading full time. Like it's literally my job to track day in, day out, every single move I make. And there was no way to do that. Um, so Tyler being the extremely gifted software engineer that he is, created a website to track her stats. And, and we originally had said like, screw it. Why don't we just like track every horse's stats and let other people do this? So he starts to, we build out this site and we think about branding and, and to my credit, like I start to think about, you know, we need to have like a really strong user experience. Like he's, he's a full stack engineer, so we can do back end, back end or front end. And he was able to create this and, you know, he was able to really blend the user experience with needing to have these professional level data. And, and then we just continued to build it out, right? We hadn't been reached out to anybody yet. This is just a project that he was working on and I was helping him out with while I was still trading. Um, and we're building the product out. We're in the Discord all day long, like basically saying, track your horse on our site, track your horse on our site, track your horse on our site. Look at what you can do with this. Look at what you can do with this, like pipe pasting links, really just like, and then people were racing against Vanilla Bean and losing and coming to the Discord, be like, who the hell owns Vanilla Bean? Like, what is this? Blah, blah, blah. She's winning all this money. And I think she made like an Ethereum and like, and Zed operates on the Ethereum, uh, like on Ethereum, technically proof of stake Polygon network. But um, she started to make all this money. And we were like, we started to get a little bit of notoriety because people knew who she was. And we were brutal about it too. We'd come in and be like, race us. We don't give a shit, right? Like, you know, she, she does wherever she wants and one of the main attributes of a Z horse is that it has a distance preference. Um, that's like the major thing. Like some horses just simply can't race with other distances. And your distance is reflected by what's called the odds now. Um, it's, it's much more nuanced than I'm going to make it sound. So forgive me if you go to the game and, and you realize you go into the Discord and you see me correcting people in the general chat. Like the fact of the matter is I'm trying to give you guys like a broad understanding of the way the game works. Um, but the intricacies are, are a much higher level. So forgive me, but you get a number that's representative of the ability of the horse. And it represents the number of times that your horse won a thousand simulations. And then one of those simulations is picked and displayed on screen. And that's the one that obviously becomes official. She was pulling extremely low odds all the time, no matter what distance we were running her at. So we basically, and Q times were non-existent in these days because breeding was closed there were 81 days, 81 days where um, breeding was closed for, and we're literally like racing like lunatics, doing everything we can to like make as much money as possible. Every distance, like there was no one saying, oh man, hey, check out your horse. Like now, if you go to the game and you want someone to help you evaluate your horse, you post a link to our site and we have all the data and people have gotten really good at, you know, you can go on the site, you can pull up the horse and be like, Okay. 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 Yeah. You probably should be lasering in on 2200 to 2400 meters, but like that didn't exist. So we were racing all over and now she's raced over 1700 times. So we had like, we were trying to figure out how to be the best racers possible and how the game worked and doing all this, building out these analytics, P and L charts, you know, graphical representations of her placement distributions, like really just going in with as much data as we could. And then one day Tyler says, you know, I think in these um, investors are reaching out to me. He, he goes, a, a, name, a man named Jonathan Bales is in my 
my Twitter DMs and he's asking, you know, about the site. He's asking like about wanting to buy the site. He's asking about, you know, what I would need to do it full time. Like you've been working with me on this. Like, you know, what are we even going to do? Like, what do we think about all of this? And, you know, we're, you know, I'm 26 years old now and he's 26 as well, but I still feel like a kid in space sometimes, you know, like it's still, I sure I've been in the professional world for five years and, you know, I have these conversations with people all the time, but now I have some of the best daily fantasy sports players of all time. People who just sold a company for hundreds of millions of dollars, creators of fantasy labs, like geniuses at their craft. Yeah. Coming to us and being like, Hey, you guys have like the best UI. You guys have like the best site. We think that you guys would be a good contribution to the team. Let's set up some calls. So that kind of snowballed into the process of Tyler and I for basically like, I guess a month and a half, almost two months it took to like really iron out what our assimilation into the Lucky Trader team and the Lucky Trader product would look like. Yeah. Um, you know, but the long story short came down to, you know, Tyler and I needed a certain amount of financial security to work on this full time, a certain amount of upside. Like these are the way deals work. You know, you, you give and you take wherever you can. Um, and we mapped out a vision for them of what we thought about the game and what we thought the game was going to become and our hand in that, you know, you think about walking around doing chores all day and you have a cell phone in your pocket and your cell phone's your tool to do anything. I think about know your horses the same way. If you want to play Zed and you want to play Zed at a high level and you want to compete with some of the best stables in the game, if you get lucky and have a horse that's capable of doing something like that, you're going to need to use our site because this data just doesn't exist elsewhere. Like there's no other way to find out how to play this game at a super high level. Um, and Lucky Trader saw that and Lucky Trader saw that one, Tyler and I had a chemistry between us that we personally had fostered for 15 years, right? Like we've been friends since we were kids. Uh, I would say academic equals, you know, we were matched GPA for GPA. I think he was like a couple ranks higher than me when he graduated in high school. Um, he went to the university of Chapel Hill. I went to the university of South Carolina, like a lot of parodies between our intellectual journeys that branched in branched off from each other in college and then met back up with, holy shit, you can build a website. You know how to do all this front end, back end experience. And I know how to professionally manage money. I know how to think about genetic algorithms. I know how to blog. I know how to do these business relationships. Let's, we're, we're going to form a team. We're going to form a company. Um, and Lucky Trader found that attractive about us. The fact that we could be more than just the website to them. Um, we could fit into their team and we could fit into the vision that they have for their product. And that all culminated in obviously them acquiring us. And, and yeah, now this is what we do full time. We've made considerable, we've completely redesigned the site since then. Um, you know, we've added a bunch of new features. We're developing new things every day. Um, and the company started to stable itself, right? So I, I now race um, some horses that the company is invested in. And I manage that um, on my own. And I put that stable together with, you know, personal relationships I have with some of the biggest stables in the game. So we've yeah. become a player in this space in ways go. that I didn't think would happen. And it's all a culmination of the same things that got us by in our previous endeavors, right? We don't give up and we believe in fast paced deliverance, right? Like I much rather put something out that's broken and fix it than have nothing that's out at all. Right. I would much rather make a trade and learn from it and lose from it than not make a trade at all. Um, and in trading, sometimes that's not the right way to go it. And in software development, it's sometimes not the right way to go it. But if you have the personality for it, it can work for you. Um, so there's a lot of blending between the way that we've structured, you know, our own company, like how we work together to build the site um, that mirror, you know, things I learned from trading professionally. Um, and then when it comes down to actually racing and playing the game, 
there's so many parodies between professional trading and racing. It's not even close. It's really fascinating. Like Tom has a stable now. Tom's racing horses. Like <laughs> he does. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like yeah, he's he's a, he's an under wraps with it. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna get Tom. We're get Tom on here to talk some. Voices. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh yeah, he. I'm sure he would love. To. He's he's a he's a he's really well versed at this point. He, you know. Oh yeah, he's he good. Knows. Nice. Yeah, he knows he knows what's going on. He's, he's yeah. keeping it quiet. He's keeping it quiet. I'm not. <laughs> I see nothing from him. That's no. That's good. Man. Um, no, I, but yeah, know, it, it's awesome, Ryan, man. Because like, I, it, and I'm, you know. I'm not saying it slightly, man. I really look up to Bales and uh, Adam Levitan, especially. And honestly, I, I kind of got like a lot of inspiration from them to do this podcast. Um, e- even how like, uh, especially like Levitan, how he you know conducts his podcast and stuff like that. Um, and the, you know, on top of that, yeah, man, like I've heard them talk about this and I'm, I'm sure this is what you were alluding to is you take that same mentality that you had in trading, right? Or like them and DFS or poker or gambling, and you can take that into business, that same mentality, know where your edges in the business market, et cetera, et cetera. And it all it's because trading's life, really, I guess, yeah. you know, and it's you can take the same things you learn, apply it, apply it there. Um, you know, with that being said, this being a brand new market, Ryan, game still in beta stages. How big of an edge uh, are you seeing right now? And this and Zed well, I'm, I'm smiling because I, I actually can't believe this happened. But while we were on this call, Zed dropped a massive update. What is it? What is it? No, like, that's, that's amazing. So I don't know if you heard about like the hot or not. Uh, no, what's no? I'm not aware. Of this. Yeah, so the hot or not is like odds are getting removed. Those. Oh, okay. With the, I was talking about sure, with the flames, with the flames. Yeah. yeah. So the flames are coming in. Um, my girlfriend literally just slid me a piece of paper, and it's <laughs> she's like emergency. Zed dropped Zed odds. Dropped <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So shout out, shout out to her. Yeah. So shout out for her coming in. I feel like I'm like. What was her? I'm what like was her name again? Oh, sorry. Annie. Annie, shout out to Annie. Yeah, shout out to Annie for sure for coming in. Right. Um, right. So obviously now I'm being told that I need to announce that this is happening live. Um, I'm learning about this as you guys are learning about this. Um, I'm sure that the game is going, the game literally live on this podcast for anyone listening just completely changed, which Mm -hmm. you just asked me a question about like my edge in the space. Um, And the edge in the space now comes from this unique new point of information that's going to have access to every user. So that point is going to be the hot or not, right? So odds are a reflection of your ability to win that race, but they're not a reflection of your ability to get first, second, or third. And first, second, or third wins money. Now they've added the ability to get some type of qualitative way to measure that. And we're going to be rolling out all these features to help track that. Um, We're a little bit ahead of a curve in terms of of how we've thought about how to implement some some hardware for that and software for that. So if you have no idea what odds are, if you have no idea what flames are and you play the game and you're listening to this podcast, incredible timing. I'll say that much. Um, yeah. We're going to have, we're, we're going to have all of that. Um, and you know, that's really going to be, it's going to be a new world now. It, it is. It is. And that, that was something I planned on asking you. So, you know, you know, funny timing. Um, in, in, in anything I ask now going forward, Ryan, um, if you want to stay general, listen, I, I understand we're in a game here where we might not want to give away some edges. And I oh, know no, I'll give I'll, I'll tell you guys wherever you want. OK, yeah. all right. Yeah. Excellent. I, I so just want our business I model. Our business yeah. model has always been, you know, you don't have to pay to use your horses right now. I, I don't know what monetization looks like for us in the future. But what I do know is that if I can help the average user play the game, it creates a more equitable landscape. And, and the game is, needs that, right? Like you can't have a bunch of people who don't know how to play because it is technically a zero sum game, right? Like there is a winner and loser to this situation. And you don't want to be the loser, of course, the same way you wouldn't want to be in trading. 
And there's a certain amount of RNG, right? Like random number generator that helps you get access to things that it's not, it's like, it's like one day if you woke up and all of a sudden you had um, a trading account with 500 grand and your next trade hit with those levels of risk reward and you made 200 grand, right? Like no one ever really has access to something like that. But in Zed, you could breed a horse like I did that is an incredible racer. It's not super statistically profitable, but it is possible. Um, so it's important to recognize that potential. Yeah, yeah, um, excellent. Excellent, well, good. No, I mean, you can uh, speak freely. Awesome, great. Um, I guess with this, you know, I, you know, from, from my understanding from us switching from odds to the flames is that now it's more of um, a process of discovery, right? Like they like to say, um, I guess, I guess one, like, what are your thoughts on them changing over? Do you like it or not? Um, and then two, how do you think this, this kind of changes your strategy as far as um, yeah, I guess just your, your approach to the game or does it change? So I've, I've been thinking about it a long time because they've, they've obviously mentioned it. And kind of what I'm thinking about is like, you know, a lot of the game and the market has been centered around this one data point. And that one data yeah. point is, is odds, right? And if you have super low, like less than 10 odds on average, you know, you're going to make money. Um, and I'm literally like getting live updates from Tyler right now, kind of <laughs> walking me through. They added fatigue as well. Oh, wow. This is big. This is huge right now. Oh, oh, your mic. Oh, your mic, your mic, your mic. Yeah. So, so for the people listening that have no idea, like this is, this is totally changing the game right now. These, these are implementations they've been talking about doing, but we've all just been waiting, you know, when is this going to happen until this happening all right now, this is a big deal for, you know, you, you yeah. guys are entrenched in the game though. Yeah. 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 So, you know, if you're listening to this and you know, and you play the game and I'm sure you're tagging me in the discord and I'm sure there's a bunch of people blowing up my DMs right now, but Tyler's got you. So it'll be cool. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the long story short is horses before today and before the last 10 minutes didn't get tired, right? They raced as much as they needed to. They were a function of the queue times. If the queue times were two minutes to get into a race and I own vanilla bean, I'm going to race her everywhere I can. You're screwed, right? Like I can race her three to three at a time. She's going to go in every buy-in imaginable and she's going to take money from lesser horses all day long. With fatigue, now you have to work your way into higher buy-ins when she's ready, right? I can't race her in a higher buy-in. If she's tired, I'm going to lose. Um, I can't race her in lower buy-ins left and right because she's sacrificing her endurance to make less money. Right? So there's a lot of different things that are happening that are coming to the game that are trying to make a more equitable landscape. And there needs to be more volume in every class. So yeah. it's class five all the way to class one, right? Class one being the most elite racers, class five being the, the least elite. But the problem is there's these horses with such extremely high ability deviation that they fluctuate back and forth because when you get last, you lose class points. So for a long time, Vanilla Bean would move out through the classes. She'd be racing against trash horses in class five, class four, class three, like she would basically feast upon everybody. These changes are basically making it where you have to race to your maximum potential as a horse. Um, and that's extremely necessary for the game because there's never going to come a time where Oh, stable owner is going to feel confident enough to put an Ethereum down as a buy-in, right? Like if we want to see the, uh, the day where people are making 10 Ethereum on a single race yeah. or Stella comes in and drops like a hundred K prize pool, like none of that happens unless there's confidence and that we're working the breeding algorithm as a community to create the most fit individuals so that whoever gets lucky enough to own them has the confidence to race against other people of elite methods, right? So like Vanilla Bean will race in the $500 entry, the most expensive buy-in there is. And I have confidence to do that because I know how elite she is. Mm -hmm. But now I have to make a new decision upon that. 
I have to say, is she hot in the races? Like, is she favored to get in top three? Because there's this weird dynamic where like horses who are U-shaped and either get first or last more than they get second or third, those horses have the ability to win, but they're not favored to get either first, second, or third cumulatively, mm-hmm. right? So now the flames are reflecting that. So you can have a horse who's favored to win in the most fit individual in the race, but isn't hot because it's not favored to get second and third. And then you have a horse like terms of engagement. You look up terms of engagement on know your horses. If you really want to see a prime example of this, that horse always gets fourth and third, right? So now you're talking about a horse who it's top speed, it's top ability, like isn't quite there to win. Right. But its ability is so hyper consistent that it's landing in the exact same places over and over and over again. My thesis is that those are going to be the horses who perform extremely well in a fatigue environment. Like there's something that has to do with like their consistency is like an innate product of their ability to continue to run fast and have endurance. Um, I, I obviously this <laughs> this update just dropped. I haven't raced since. Yeah. I have no idea. I know. I'm um, searching. I'm searching in terms are, of. I'm searching terms of yeah. engagement on your site, and then like, yeah, I see like a little flame. Like, I, yeah. I don't know if Tyler's oh, on shit. it already. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Hold on. Yeah. The, so for people, like right under the odds, I see a crazy. flame now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh wow, um, you do see a flame. Oh wow, he's hot every single race too. Is that wow. true? Is that is that right? It's, oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's hot every oh, yeah. race. Tyler, like. So all that really comes down to is like you build the architecture and then you get the data from the API. So like we've had this stuff ready to go for when they dropped it. Um, We just needed access to like their API whenever the data became publicly available. Um, Now we have it and now it's available to be seen, you know, right now. Um, So like I could go to Vanilla Bean and she's going to be a prime example of what I just told you. Like there's a considerable amount of races where she's not hot, but she pulls like sub nine odds. Right. And what's happening there is that she's favored to win, but there's other horses who are favored to get more second, thirds and firsts out of the thousand simulations that make them technically hotter than her on that race. Sure. Sure. Right. So like, and obviously I honestly, like I'm looking at this data with you guys live now, like I'm pretty sure that's how it's going to work. I'm going to have to like dive into this. The fact that she's not hot in a lot of races kind of like on the surface affirms that thesis for me. Yeah. Um, And then I should look up a horse like, um, rendezvous peak, which is the best horse in the game. And I should never see a non-hot. Yeah. I mean, she's hot every single race she's ever raced. Right. You look up rendezvous peak, you're just like hot every single race. Um, so that's kind of like, Oh yeah. So we have all this. Now I get to talk about all these new features that we have live. And you can go, if you go Um, into a horse's page and you go to the heat check page on the left side, you can see, Oh wow, um, look at that. Tyler's quick. You guys, yeah, you guys were ready. Yeah, yeah, we were ready. ready for it. Yep. Yeah, I can't believe it's paying out live. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the heat check is basically you have the ability to look at the percentage of times that your horse was hot, broken down by distance, broken down by class. And this is a really intuitive way to look and get a little bit more information about your horse. So if you go to vanilla bean and you do her heat check, you know, if you look at her odds right away, you can see that she doesn't have any discernible odds, right? Like it's a straight line across every distance. Yeah. But if you go to her heat check, you can see a very noticeable um, bulge at 1800, which is her best distance. And she's hot 93% of the time in 1800. Whereas at a distance like 1200, where she still pulled sub eight odds, she's only hot 56% of the time. So like now you have another step of information in the discovery process to be like, okay, uh, this is, you know, 
right here, this is an easier way to see what I couldn't see before with odds. Um, And that's kind of Zed's methodology, right? They're trying to give us a peek into what assessing the discovery process looks like in real time, right? Giving us more information. I have no idea how fatigue works. Um, We're going to have to see how that goes. I hope I don't race vanilla bean once when she gets first and her fatigue meter is completely drained. Um, I have no idea. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. yeah, we'll see how all that plays out. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, this is an extremely exciting time for the game. I've been waiting for this update for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited that it happened while I was okay. live on a podcast. That's, yeah, no, that's awesome. It, great. Phenomenal timing, man. Um, Try to understand this. Very cool. Whatever this happened. Uh, what is, I was going to ask about fatigue, mm-hmm. right? So, because this is completely new to me, I find this, uh, you know, fascinating. So for some, some of the older people, Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. That, you know? I know. This no, no, has, no, no. Hasn't cool. been a lot of basis because this hit me no, like no, a truck. No, no, this is no, no, no. This is really good. It's cool that the moment happened. Now, try to help us understand what happened. Um, just for the people who are a little newer, if you can do it quickly, not a big deal. If you can't, just I was always wondering because I was talking to Ray. He was breeding horses, and I was like, "Well, what if what if they get tired? What if they have vet bills?" Is you know, because I have <laughs> I have clients who have horses that race and you know, the vet bills are a killer. Is, is that something that may be coming into this? Um, no. So like, I wouldn't think about it in terms of like the horse being damaged in any like uh, discernible way. It more so has everything to do with what level of maximum ability they're capable of reaching on any given race, right? Like okay, if cool. you think about yourself and you ran your fastest mile time completely, you know, fresh, you've eaten all day, you've hydrated all day, yep. you know, you run a mile time, your next mile, unless you're incredibly in shape, of course, your next mile is going to have um, a degradation in your yeah. maximum ability. That's kind of what we're working with here. Right? Okay, cool. Okay. You exert yourself maximum potential on a 400 meter sprint. Your yeah. next 400 meter sprint is probably going to suffer a little bit. So that's kind of what we're thinking. And I, I, they may have announced specifically how this works in ways that I'm unclear on. Let me just like quickly brief over this. Okay, you can only race one time per horse now, which makes sense. They they had said that that was going to happen. Oh, well, they want one entry per per horse. Yep, yep, one entry per horse. Queue time should go down to only five minutes. Awesome. Um, It looks like they're doing 10 minutes to start, Um, which is great, right? It's great for content creators. It's great for introducing new friends to it. It used to be like, oh, I put my horse in a race. It's going to take a long time for it to go. And now it's, you know, put your horse in a race. You can watch it with your friends in 10 minutes. Right. Yeah, the yeah. ease of mainstream ability is now going to be there because queue times will be discernible. Everything will kind of be a little bit more streamlined. You have more information about your horses. New horses might find themselves much more fit now because they don't fatigue as much. Vanilla bean might be done after one race. I, I have no idea. Right. So the market in, in and of itself has completely changed as well. And, you know, the ecosystem is going to move in a certain direction as a product of this update. I'm bullish on it, of course, because I have to be, and it's what I believe in. And I firmly believe that there will come a time where, you know, we're in Las Vegas betting on digital horses on the big screen. Like I, I firmly believe that that's where this is all going. Um, and these are necessary steps to get us there. And a lot of people will react emotionally to this, just like they would a bad trade, right? They, they don't understand the update. They're not sure if it's what they want. It affects their horses in a certain way. You know, Zed is the same as any other, any other gambling type thing, right? Like you're always going to have an emotional reaction to the value of your asset or the value of your trade or the outcome of your trade. 
Very true. I mean, you see, you see it right. Just looking in the Discord, Ryan. Right, like you, you see in the the, the Z Discord, some of the, some of the emotional things on display from people. Well, yeah, because also odds are gone forever, right? Like that's yeah. a really important thing to remember. It's like now, if you race your next horse, it is not going to have odds based data, right? Like I'm going to be racing a Z1 on stream on Wednesday. It's the Life Artois Stella branded horse. Look it up. It's you know worth 150 oh, nice. grand. You know, it's going to be an event, 8 p.m. on Wednesday. I hate plugging my own stuff, but obviously that's kind of the purpose here. Um, I'll, <laughs> but, tune in. I'll tune in. Uh, yeah, tune in. It's going to be electric. But now I have no idea how that horse's odds are, right? Because I didn't race it in time. And I kind of planned to not race it until this happened. You know, everyone knew this update was coming. It was just a matter of when. Um, but, yeah, I'm for sure going to, one, race that horse and, and show people. I'm going to blog about it. I'm going to talk specifically about what the – um, discovery process looks like now and kind of how you can go forward and, and enter this new world. Awesome. We'll have to, yeah, if, if you would, uh, if you would like, uh, me and, uh, me and my boy, Nick, he's, he's, uh, who's the one who's in this with me. We, we've been streaming a little bit ourselves. You have to jump on one of the streams with us. Oh yeah. hundred uh, percent. I love, you know. I love doing that. Like it's, it's yeah. so funny. Like just because we have the site, sometimes people like don't think I have this like approachability or something like that. And they're like, Oh, you must be so busy. Like, Oh, you're doing your own stream. I'm like the fact of the matter is if you want me to come on and, and say some words and, and chat and shoot the shit about the game, that's yeah. just what I do. Right. It's yeah. supposed to be fun. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I wanted to ask, so, so with this flames, I guess like now with this, all this coming on, I'm like, you know, I'm having different ideas. How, how do you think this affects if, if it does at all um, about, uh, and I wanted to get your opinions on selling a full unraced versus selling a full race. Now, do you think the flames might change that strategy or whichever one you choose to go with? Yeah. Yeah, probably, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and forgive me, but a lot of the answers to this are going to be like, yeah, one, they'll will change it somehow they'll change the way that people like we kind of changed the way that the market worked with odds right like yeah. the easily accessibility of odds kind of made it so people would race a horse once get a shit griffin and then sell it immediately instead of taking the time to kind of see how that worked and then when breeding reopened all of a sudden odds didn't really translate to the class system as accurately you could pull like sub five odds in the griffin and win and then go into the field and race against vanilla bean and pull like a 40 right? Like it had to be statistically impossible to win. Like it, they weren't really translating the same way that they had because there were no new horses entering the ecosystem. You had to race against other Genesis. You had to race against other elite horses all the time. And now that that's just not the way it works anymore. So the discovery process is longer. It costs a little bit more to figure it out. You need to be a little bit more patient and pay more attention to things. I think because of that, and because of the added utility of fatigue and the misunderstanding, and then the fact that it's a completely unknown attribute, might mean that you have to wait um, a considerable amount of time longer to figure out what you have. And hopefully that stabilizes the kind of flipping, flipping, uh, flipping go market. Like the quick. Yeah. I, which I think, and I know everyone has a different opinion on this and I think it's tough to say, like, you know, predicting these things and how the market's going to react in the future, right? Like just from trading, these are things we don't try and do. Right. Um, yeah. But I would like to think that's probably good. Like I'm, I'm in the camp of, I think that's probably is good like a longer discovery process, you know? Right. Yeah, I know it's good. So it, it's kind of, there's two different things. Like one, I know it's good, um, but I do also wonder like what the short-term effects will be, of course. Like, I don't know how the public will perceive this information. I don't know whether or not the racing field is going to be the same. Um, there's a lot of things that, you know, I'm still trying to learn about. 
Um, and you know, this is going to be a come and go. Like as soon as we hop off this podcast, you know, I'm going to be working through the night yeah, trying to figure right. out what's going on here. Yeah. Um, um, and, and, you know, that's not to, to cut you off and say, but like, you know, I, mm-hmm. there will come a time where I'll have to hop out, I'll hop off here in a little bit because my DMs yeah, we'll, are going insane. Um, we'll, yeah, we'll get, we'll but, but yeah, you know, it's going to affect the game in, in, in a certain way. And, you know, we're going to be there to adapt to it. Obviously, we're not in this for the short term where, you know, this is a long term project for us and we will deal with all these ecosystem shifts as they come and we'll just continue to do our best to provide information to the people we're playing. Yeah, yeah. And, and the ecosystem and the structure of all that will be a product. Yeah. Yeah. And your mic, your mic just went out again, Brian, but uh, yeah, man, I, I think, I think like, and I'm hoping this, you know, us having trading backgrounds um, is where it's going to come in handy us being adaptable to the market shifts that are different um, than removing odds and adding flames. And I think people who might have um, experience with changing conditions, adapting on the fly, hopefully this will, you know, lend itself to us. I, w- I want to ask you a few uh, a few more stuff. I know, I know it'll get you going. Uh, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure if this was an aspect I was overlooking at first. So something I was thinking a lot on yesterday, um, coat color and breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of different things thrown away. I've talked to some people who are very high on it. I've talked to other people who've done a lot of data analysis, like you said, a self who said there's no correlation between coat color and race ability when it comes to breeding. I'm not sure if this was something I overlooked at first. Uh, from your experience, have you seen any ability with um, maybe breeding the same coat color? I know there's different like coat color groups. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does that have any effect in the breeding and then determining the foal's race ability? I haven't seen anything like directly okay. correlated. The only like hunch and like weird kind of, it's not even necessarily like something I have a ton of data to back up, but something I'm intrigued by is failed super coat attempts. So okay. a super coat attempt is when you breed two horses, the exact same color coat together. And in Zed, when you, when you succeed, that means that the, the offspring has the same color as both of its parents. And that's, what's called a super coat, right? So what often happens is that the formula is probabilistic and sometimes the full will be a different color than both the parents. I found that there's a lot of extremely strong horses who both their parents are the same color, but they're not the super coat. Uh, Princess of Power is a huge one. Look up Princess of Power, one of the most profitable horses of yeah, all time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Shout out Arbitrage Racing. They're the best stable in the game. Amazing. Yeah. Um, that horse is a failed super coat. And there's a bunch of other that I can't think of off the top of my head, but that's, there might be something there. I, you know, well, I had financial one. advice. It just is what it is. I had one, I had one this weekend, uh, failed, failed super coat. The, you know, so far out of like, you know, eight races, it's pulling seven odds. Yeah. I have one too. Average. It's name is express lane and it was a failed powder blue super coat. So I don't know how, yeah, it's, I, it's something that I need to dive in more. I've looked at the data like once or twice and, and couldn't really find anything discernible, but they, it keeps popping up and I keep seeing them and, and I'm, I'm trying to think about that a little bit more, you know, cause like when I was first getting involved in a game, cause I, th- I think I probably got involved around the same time, probably just slightly after you guys, um, cause I, I remember when I got in, I think vanilla bean was already established. Um, but, um, yeah, when I first would get involved in the game, I remember looking at with the color chart and like, you, they have the descriptions of like the horse and I didn't think of nothing at first. It's like, you know, oh, if, you're yeah, the, yeah. if you're in the green, oh, yeah, he has yeah. good stamina. I've been told that green. that's, yeah, I've been told that that's just lore, like a fun little thing that, that okay, Chris, so it that is. Chris I, I wasn't sure if they're dropping hints or something. I'm like, huh, like why With are they Zed, coming? here's what I'll say. With Zed, yeah. you never say for sure. But from what I know, and as far as I know, it's not transferable to the game, but um, it would be cool if it was. But yeah. I, I honestly, 
I haven't seen anything that makes me go like, oh yeah, every red horse is a sprinter because fiery, you know, they got, the, yeah. oh, I got to run. Yeah. yeah. And like, I think it says like the, oh, I've read this thing so many times. It's like the, the longer term one is like a longer distance is like the wild coat color because they have stamina or like, who knows? I, I mean, shit, I could look at someone's fatigue and be like, oh, it's a green horse. You know, I just don't think it, it would be too surface level because if you think about it, like the coat's kind of like an overlay onto the horse and the horse has like its own genetic code. Because yeah. the horse breeding formula is separate. It's on a different chain than the smart contracts that uh, operate the breeding. So, okay. yeah, it wouldn't really make, one, logistical sense for them to be correlated like that. And two, probably not mechanical sense, but I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it's just, just interesting just to even discuss these things. You know what I mean? And, like, I think this is the whole fun part of the game, too, right? Like, just all of us trying to figure out what it's about, Um uh, the algorithm, different theories, uh, at least for me, it's fun. You know, it's one of the fun parts. Um, Ryan, uh, how do you see the racing environment developing in the future? I, I know, I mean, I don't know that I forget the name of the site, but it was something like they have, they're bringing $30 million worth of sponsorship for tournaments. I, I think like, always in my opinion, I, you know, I think, you know, I think back to poker too, and what like really catalyzed poker back in the day, because I, I see so many parallels to where this can blow up uh, like poker did. And I think maybe even like higher. And a lot of it was watching a guy on ESPN an everyday guy won like a million bucks over a million dollars right, right. on TV. And I think what's Zed is like, once that one person wins like a 50 K uh, tournament, you know, like, I think that's going to bring even more people. That's my opinion. How, how do you see the racing environment developing in the future? Yeah, I think that the steps are that were made today and, and the updates that will continue to roll out are going to push that into more of a possibility, right? Like it was kind of what I was going to. If your horse has to race to its maximum ability, the best horses in the game are going to be competing against each other all the time. And they'll make more horses who are better than them or a new horse will come that's better than them. And this competitive process will repeat over and over again until those stable owners do have the confidence to put down 10 grand on a race or that a sponsorship company does have enough confidence to inflate the prize pool due to you know, some type of sponsorship or something like that. Like I see that being one half of the spectrum, like a pro racing scene, right? Like this is where the best of the best go to play the game. But I also think that there's the other end of the spectrum, which is the Axie Infinity model. So Axie Infinity is a play to earn game where most of the game is you, people have the assets and they lend them out to others to kind of grind the game and play. I think there will come a time where people are able to race like donkeys that run horses against each other to farm some type of native token in the game. And that play to earn model will be a way to make money with trash horses. And then at oh. some point, some point a, tr a horse will matriculate and a trainer will matriculate from that line where this is amateur racing. And now you're in the pro scene where you have to bet on every race. You have to buy into tournaments. Um, oh, okay. I see it's see a spectrum developing um, and it will take a lot of coordination from Zed's team and a lot of vision on that front which I think they have. And, and, and I firmly believe that they recognize the need for both of those environments and making one continual spectrum, um, giving every horse in the game utility uh, would be the most bullish thing I've ever heard. Yeah. 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 And, and I, it sounds like you are too. I'm, I'm in the, you know, I know a lot of people are very critical of the Z team. Um, I think a lot of people don't give them enough credit um, for like, not only like the partnerships that they've yeah. uh, acquired so far, I think just even having this idea in, you know, like you said, like you heard of this, the, the algorithm and it caught it right away. You were like, boom, I felt the same way. 
I was like, yo, this isn't it. This is an incredible idea. So I think yeah. a lot of people want to knock them for things. I think you also got to give them credit. I mean, and that's oh, why we're all here and that's why we're all in it. And I, and I do trust like, despite maybe like, you know, whatever knocks people want to say, I, I still believe they did. They know what they're doing and they're going to take care of all these things. Yeah. And it's, it's also important to remember that this is a two year old project. Like a lot of these things, like, you know, crypto kitties and crypto punks are like the only things from that same era, right? You're talking about, you know, apes, you know, board ape yacht club that came out that obviously went nuclear. You're seeing all these different projects being developed, new profile picture projects, generative art, all of this stuff that's happening all the time. But like, you know, they don't have utility. You basically buy them and hope that they go up and they're appreciative. But then these companies, these projects, these developing teams outline a roadmap for how to add utility to something that they've already created. Whereas Zed was born out of utility. Yeah, right. right? Like this is the purpose. What you're seeing and the issues that you're seeing in the game are because, you know, this is the most unique thing that's ever been created, right? Like this is, this is an ecosystem that's two years into development, a small team that's ballooned into a team that's getting invested, you know, tens of millions of dollars from some of the smartest venture capitalists in the world, right? Like we're talking about a project with the type of hold that, very few other blossoming startup industries ever had the capacity, the capacity to do this. This is a disruptive exactly. technology, you know? Yeah. Exactly. I'm just going to hop in a sec because uh, when Ray went into this, a lot of people gave him a hard time and they've been laughing at this whole thing. And I'm like, idiots, while you're laughing, he's making money, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I mean. Yeah. And the fact of the matter, that makes sense, right? Like vanilla right? beads made 5.6 Ethereum. Break that down. She's me nineteen grand. You know she's worth hundred thousand dollars. Exactly (laughs) right. Money talks. (laughs) Exactly. And the other thing is, you know, you guys are. I'm a trader, and and everything's for me the market. So it's like, you got in at the lowest cost basis, right? That's gold, right? You got in first and and took that jump, and the risk you guys took wasn't like Ray. Ray wasn't betting the farm on all all these things. You know, he still had the risk management that he learned from poker. I'm just going about this because, you know, people who are listening, like take it from somebody who's not involved in this at all, doesn't understand it, just learning, but still being open-minded because you know what, there might be something to learn that could put a few shekels in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. You know, don't, don't be so close-minded, right? Yeah. You don't have you to know? be like me. Like you don't have to give up your career to do this yeah. full time. Like it's yeah. a fun game, right? Like yeah. buy a horse, race the horse. If it's yeah, trash, and, it's trash. You know, like and how and many I saw the, I saw the race enough? with Ray and I was getting into it. <laughs> oh you know, yeah. I'll send you yeah, some of the most electric races you've ever seen. You know, I've life. never saw, I never thought I would. And the next thing you know, I'm like, Hey, 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 you know, I was like, wait, I, I found myself, you know, just kind of like, you know, just getting into it. And it was fun. Yeah. yeah. And that's the point, right? Like it's supposed yeah. to be this, it's, yeah. it's supposed to be fun. It's an opportunity to make money and it can, yeah. but it can be this really serious investment, right? Like you could put well, a couple hundred thousand dollars into this if you want to. And there's passive income that could be made yeah. from putting a horse in a stud farm. You could have, you could buy racers like arbitrage has done, invest 50 yeah. grand, buy the best racers, make 20 Ethereum since April 1st. Like these guys are elite. Yeah. Like these are people who are who are doing things. And obviously lucky trader coming into the space should be that first little, you know, there are, there's real money interested in this. Yep. You know, I, I like to think I'm a smart guy, but there's a lot of people much smarter than me, much more wealthy than me, exactly. much more driven and conceptually, you know, sound yeah. than I am who are interested in this. And oh, that yeah. was kind of a, that was kind of another notch in the belt for me too. And that's yeah, no, I, I Brian, that's so funny. I, I thought the same exact thing. I was like, you know what? Like, and I think this is a good way, maybe for for the listeners, I think like to make a quick, not maybe not a quick decision, but something that could aid you in your decision making process. 
It's like, yeah, I saw Jonathan Bales was involved. I saw other people who I respect were like talking about this. And I'm like, okay. And I already had interest in it and thought this was a good idea. That guy just kind of gave me a little bit more conviction that I was yeah. like, okay, instead of like two Genesis, all right, let me go out and get five more Genesis. Like, like, let's go, like, let's go in on this. Um, and it's like, yeah, if you look around you and there's other sharp people in there, I think, you know, Hey, I'd rather be wrong with the sharp people. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to be that type of person who needs other people to kind yeah. of give you that confidence. Like you don't have to be the trailblazer. It's like, it, it's tra- being a trailblazer is a young man's game too, right? Like putting everything on the line to do something and take risks isn't really mm-hmm. what sound money management principles are about. And if you're a professional trader and you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that like, yeah, the NFT space is nuts, right? Like there's no, there's digital art selling for millions of dollars every day, right? Like there is a certain level of a speculative bubble that you could call that is in the space. But like what it comes down to is it's a market, right? Like you can't sit here and tell me that this is all BS when you just watch GameStop go to 350 bucks, right? Like we're talking about the same damn things. We're talking about scarcity being taken advantage of to get an asset and fluctuating price. Happened since when 16 something, when Tulip Mania happened, like it's a tale as old as time. But at the end of the day, the product of all of those different speculative bubbles has been some type of disruptive technology, right? Like something comes from that. Yeah. If, if the meme stocks, what it came with, the meme stocks gave birth to an entire generation of people interested in speculative markets, mm-hmm. right? The, um, the dot-com bubble gave birth to like one of the greatest information ages ever. Uh, the Definitely. real estate crash gave birth to like a completely different idea of what the real estate market should be, different way to manage your money, different way to be secure, you know, big rules that the government has put out. Like, you know, all of these things, while some get damaged in the process and some get and unimaginably rich in the process, it's because that there's something disruptive happening in the ecosystem. You know, we're a part of history in ways that we might not even not understand right now. Exactly. Um, there might come a time where I have a virtual headset on sitting in the grandstands with you guys watching Vanilla Bean Race, right? Like, I don't know, but I'm happy to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's so exciting. La- last question, Ryan, um, and then we'll get it going and you don't have to give a long answer. Um, some I've thought about, I don't, you know, I know, and I know we're not even close to this point, but is racing and or breeding uh, solvable or will it get to it, get to it at one point? I don't think so. I mean, it's a lot of moving parts, right? Yeah. From what I know about genetic algorithms and their complexity and also what I would know, what I know about what would be necessary and to having looked at every race ever run, because I have all the data um, and looking at every horse ever bred and every combination of horses ever bred and the spectrum of all of it we're not even close, right? We have more data than anybody playing the game and we're not even close. Um, And that's probably a function of a decent amount of randomness coded into the original generations of any genetic algorithm. And, you know, we have no type of peek into what is happening under the surface. So no, I honestly don't think that it ever will be, even if people come in with machine learning and AI and stuff that, you know, is beyond my pay grade. Yeah. I think that those people will do just like the market, just like the market's not solvable. There's a certain level of human psychology coming into it. You know, like it yeah. takes a certain amount of risk to like slap two horses who have no business breeding together together. And then all of a sudden having the best horse alive, right? Like there's not always, um, there's not always a rhyme to the reason in this space and looking for that is while necessary. And I will be one of the people doing it. And my company will be one of the people doing it. Um, I believe that Zed has created something that, they possibly can't even figure out, right? Because that's the point, right? Even the creators of genetic algorithms don't know what the final product is going to be or how long it takes to get there. Um, And that's one of the beautiful things about genetics. It's one of the beautiful things about um, the way that 
you know, whatever you. Oh, oh, Mike, last time, last time I get, but yeah, yeah, no, love to, love to hear it, man. Beautiful. Ryan, Ryan, um, speaking of watching every race, I'm going to have to, uh, just one more favor. I got to ask you, I appreciate all of all your time on the podcast, me and my boy, Nick, he like, he goes crazy. Like every time we do a stream, like he'll, he'll show this one race that we had from one of our horses called self-starter uh-huh. a, a horse stuck in class three, nothing crazy. Right. But I want to send you the replay. I, we, I, and I don't think I've ever seen a burst from like, he's like not even on the screen with a thousand meters and his beat burst to finish was insane. I'll have to send you, you have to tell me if it's up there or if we're just like biased because it's our own horse. He's not that good of a runner, but that one race was amazing. Yeah. Doesn't look too bad, man. Tell you what. He's solid. He's, I mean, listen, he, he's all right. He's no vanilla bean. Like I have like our stable, man. Like we have a bunch of like sub 12 odds. We don't have no one under 10 odds. So we have a bunch, like a collective of solid guys, but we just don't have that top, top end yet. But, you know, I think we got like seven Genesis. So I think we're set up fine for the future of the game. Just, you know, maybe hit on some good breeds. I, w- I want to compete in some of the tournaments, man. That's really what I want to yeah. do. Yeah, I want to compete fun. in some of the, the, the high end prize pools. You know what I mean? But yeah, I got to find me a vanilla bean, man. Yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> Ryan, thanks so much for your time, man. That's going to be no, a pleasure. Concludes today's episode of Conventional Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to learn from a supportive professional group of traders, you can join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Ryan, let the people know where they can find you. Anything else you want them to know? Yeah, please visit our website, knowyourhorses.com. Um, we got all the information if you want to play Zed. It's a great on-ramp. Uh, look forward to the Lucky Trader product when that's ready for launch. Um, and find me in the Zed Discord. I'm there all day long. Ping me, um, and I'll get in contact with you as soon as I can. Yeah, yeah. JJ, parting words. Oh, man, thank you so much. This has uh, been – I love learning about new markets. It's uh, very, very brain-expanding. Thank you so much, uh, you know, and thank you for the uh, the part about trading as well. Uh, yeah, you're very uh, welcome. You know, we get a lot of people out there searching, and uh, it's nice if they get decent information. You know, yeah, happy to provide it. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, for Ryan, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop, so.